Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. The Ford F-150 truck drives smart design forward. The standard 12-inch productivity screen helps you get what you need done too. And the available Pro-Access tailgate improves access to bed and cargo and utilization of the bed, including when towing a trailer. Together with a wider bumper step, it's easier to access the bed and load in tight spaces. An available Pro Power onboard serves as a mobile power source, providing up to 7.2 kilowatts of power to charge a bed full of electric dirt bikes or run an entire job site worth of tools. I'm still driving my 2016 F-150 truck and 90,000 miles in. As long as I keep it clean, it honestly still looks brand new. I've taken it down snow-covered forest service roads, taken it out camping, put a ton of miles on on the freeway, had five adults in the cabin for long trips, and it's been great everywhere. Super dependable. I still love the way it looks, nice and rugged design, but with a super comfortable interior. And I'm still very happy with the quality sound system and heated seats. And since I bought my 2016 F-150 truck, the list of standard amenities that make a truck feel like a luxury vehicle have only grown. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro-access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. South Vietnam, 1968, the middle of the night. Thanks to cloud cover and very few lights on the ground, it's the kind of dark your eyes can't completely adjust to, almost like being underground. Thanks to the Southeast Asian humidity, the air is thick and heavy, heavy enough to affect your breathing. Feels like you almost need gills. Carefully and as quickly and quietly as possible, a real-life Rambo places a small, heavy rectangular box out of its pouch. Robert Bob Howard, a man who looked like he was built and not born, built in some lab where scientists worked tirelessly for years to create the perfect soldier. Broad shoulders, buzz cut, square jaw, just over six feet tall, full of wiry, stringy muscles and a steely stare. Bob Howard, the future colonel, looked like a G.I. Joe action figure someone had enlarged and brought to life. Lying in a roadside ditch, Bob could feel the earth shake around him as a Russian or maybe Chinese-built diesel truck rumbled towards him. He began to unwind the hundred feet of detonating wire he'd snuck in with him. Crouching on adrenaline-fueled legs, he could hear and feel the vehicle getting closer. He held a metal and plastic box of death. He steadied himself and prepared to throw it. Soon, the big troop truck was beside him, and he quickly jumped up onto the dusty road, hurled an M18 Claymore mine into the back of the enemy truck. Within seconds, the detonator wire was almost at its limit. Bob slammed his fist down three times onto the clacker as the death stapler-looking detonator was called, and an explosion ripped through the night. A North Vietnamese convoy of enemy soldiers and supplies being transported down the Ho Chi Minh Trail into South Vietnam was suddenly transformed into twisted metal, fire, and dead men. Other trucks from the convoy ahead of the explosion sped up, and men from the trucks behind it grabbed their rifles and sprang to life. As the NVA soldiers looked for the source of the explosion, Robert Lewis Howard, one of the greatest heroes you've likely never heard of, snuck back into the dark night, and he and his team slipped back into the sweltering jungle. Today, we tell the inspirational and action-packed tale of one of the bravest soldiers in American history. We also recap what's gone on here in the Suck Dungeon in 2019, little special end-of-the-decade edition, year-in-review of Time Suck. This is Michael McDonald, and you're listening to Time Suck. You're listening to Time Suck. 
Happy fucking New Year, Meat Sacks. 2019. It's over. Right? It's 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 not it's not here anymore. As you're as you're hearing this episode, well, maybe you got a maybe you got like a day or two left. But it's almost over. As are the teen years of the 21st century. The 21st century, all grown up now. Put on his big boy pants, pull on his big girl panties, getting ready for the future, because it's coming. Shit is gonna get weird this decade. Right? I can feel it. It's gonna get a little black mirror, but hopefully not too much. What is gonna happen with medicine and tech? How advanced are, are robots gonna get this decade? What diseases will be cured? How many wackadoodles will illogically twist progress into conspiracy? How many people still won't shut the fuck up about nonsensical concepts like the Illuminati and the New World Order? How many people are gonna be worried about humanoid reptilians controlling our every move? How many doomsday preachers are still gonna be making shitty handwritten signs and yelling at strangers that God will return on this day? And then that day will come to pass. And some of us, hopefully most of us, will still fucking be here making the most of our time on this big ball of dirt and sin and pain and love and hope and despair and science and mystery and maybe, just maybe, a little bit of magic. Maybe a lot of magic. Oh my heck! Hail Nimrod, hail Lucifina, praise good boy Bojangles. Let Michael motherfucking McDonald soothe you in times of trouble. I'm feeling it today, meat sacks. It suck. Nimrod's will, strong in me. Yeah, yeah, so many yaws. Like the legend Dylan Thomas wrote oh so many years ago now, let us rage, rage against the dying of the light. I'm Dan Cummins, the fire in Nimrod's eyes, the temptation in Lucifina's smile, the fourth leg of Bojangles, the song in Triple M's heart. And you're listening to Time Suck. Thanks to everyone who came out to the Happy Murder Tour in 2019. It was the best tour in my nearly two-decade stand-up career. Love ending it here in Spokane where it, where it began with, uh, I'm hoping for a sold-out weekend. I had to record this on Friday in advance to keep ahead on some, some episode scheduling stuff. But last night's show, uh, Thursday night sold out. Friday, Saturday, uh, Friday sold out. Saturday first show. So looking like it's going to be my first sold-out weekend uh, for like the whole weekend ever in Spokane, which is very exciting for me. Because uh, 2020, the 20-year anniversary of my first open mic that happened in Spokane, Washington. Very excited about the 2020 Toxic Thoughts Tour. Go to dancummins.tv. Check it out. Link in the ep- episode description. Tour starts in Sacramento in late January. Heads to Las Vegas. Then goes all over the place. Uh, Brooklyn, Washington, D.C., Huntington Beach, California, St. Louis, Salt Lake City, Nashville. Oh, so many more stops. Again, please check it out. As I work on new material for my ninth album, fourth hour special, The third will come out in 2020 titled Get Out of Here, Devil. More on that later. And again, uh, dancummins.tv for ticket links. Follow me on IG, Dan Cummins Comedy for tour announcements and so much more. And now before we get into the year-end review, let's let's suck a a goddamn gosh dang legend, Colonel Robert L. Howard after his tale. Yeah, stick around for an update on the suck. And and then how about you stick around for a a bigger than normal batch of time sucker updates? Cool? Is Is that cool? Okay, cool. Let's get into it. Major John L. Plaster, a former United States Army Special Forces officer, a man regarded as one of the leading sniper experts in the world, highly decorated Vietnam War veteran who served in the uh, once top secret legendary studies and observations group, a man who co-founded a prestigious sniper school that reigns... that teaches uh, both military and law enforcement on advanced sniper tactics, had this to say about Colonel Howard, a man he called the humble knight when he died of cancer in 2009 at the age of 70. He said in 1968, Colonel Robert L. Howard fucked my wife. I'll never forgive him. Sure, he was a hero, 
But this is my wife we're talking about. Do I respect him? Of course. But it's hard to talk about his Medal of Honor and numerous Purple Hearts and numerous Bronze Stars without also thinking about walking into that supply room at HQ and seeing my sweet Betty's feet push back behind her ears as Bob stuck it to her almost as hard as he stuck it to the VC. It's hard to go on and on about his brave deeds without thinking about Betty, my sweet, sweet Betty, telling Bob to stick a finger in her ass and moaning with pleasure. She told me for years that she couldn't come from sex and that, in fact, a lot of women never achieve vaginal orgasms, but she sure as shit achieved one on March 4th, 1968 because I saw it, I heard it, and it fucking haunts me to this day. Uh, wait, uh, no, wait, 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 wait. No, 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 that's not right. I'm sorry, I, can't, I was looking at the wrong notes. Let me, uh, let me reposition. No, 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 that was, I'm sorry, that was nonsense. Uh, that was not what Major John L. Plaster wrote about Colonel Howard when he passed away in 2009, but that would, would have been hilarious. This is what he wrote. In 1968, Colonel Robert L. Howard was a 30-year-old sergeant first class and the most physically fit man on our compound. Broad-chested, solid as a lumberjack, and mentally tough, he cut an imposing presence. I was among the lucky few Army Special Forces soldiers to have served with Bob Howard and our 60-man recon company at Command and Control Central a top-secret Green Beret unit that ran covert missions behind enemy lines. As an element of the Secretive Studies and Observations Group, SOG, we did our best to recon, raid, attack, and disrupt the enemy's Ho Chi Minh Trail network in Laos and Cambodia. Howard was magnificent. Take all John Wayne's films, throw in Clint Eastwood's too, and these fictions could not measure up to the real Bob Howard. Officially, he was awarded eight Purple Hearts, but he actually was wounded 14 times. Six of the wounds he decided weren't bad enough to be worthy of the award. Keep in mind that for each time he was wounded, there probably were 10 times that he was nearly wounded and you get some idea of his combat service. He was right up there with America's greatest heroes, Davy Crockett, Audie Murphy, Alvin York, the inspiring example we other Green Berets tried to live up to. What would Bob Howard do? Many of us asked ourselves when surrounded and outnumbered, just a handful of men to fight off hordes of North Vietnamese. To call him a legend is no exaggeration. Take the time he was in a chow line at an American base and a Vietnamese terrorist on a motorbike tossed a hand grenade at them. While others leapt for cover, Howard snatched an M16 from a petrified security guard, dropped to one knee, expertly shot the driver, then chased the passenger a half mile down the road and killed him too. Holy shit and hail Nimrod. Do you have the courage and the grit to pull off something like that? I'd love to say, hell yeah. I would have stayed calm and got those guys too, but I fucking doubt it. A lot of people will say they're courageous. Very few people know for a damn fact that they're courageous, and Colonel Howard was one of those courageous meat sacks, for a fact. Uh, also, since I don't know uh, who they were, I figure uh, many of you might uh, not either, uh, Audie Murphy and Alvin York were also American military heroes. Alvin was one of the most decorated soldiers in World War I. Audie was one of the most decorated soldiers of World War II. And we could do a full suck on either one of those dudes in May one day, but not today. Today, we're talking about the legend. Colonel Robert Howard. Let's get to know him in this last Time Suck timeline of 2019. Strap on those boots, soldier. We're marching down a Time Suck timeline. On July 11th, 1939, after listening to some Independence Day fireworks while chilling in his mama's womb the week before and probably saluting the flag in utero, Robert Lewis Howard was born in the sleepy South Alabama town of Opelika, 
a town of roughly 30,000 now, but only 8,000 in 1939. A town that's part of the greater Columbus, Georgia statistical area. Used to be a real rough little railroad town in the late 19th century. Opelika's downtown was packed with saloons catering to railroad workers and other men. Frequent gunfire in the streets by intoxicated patrons resulted in railroads directing their passengers to duck beneath the windows when their trains passed through the town of Opelika. Uh, damn. Can you imagine some Amtrak train conductor telling that today, how insane that would be? All right, everybody, uh, may I please have your attention for a moment? We are about to pass through downtown Opelika, so please, for your safety, we suggest that you should all crouch down near the floor. We lost about six passengers a month to bar fight gunfire heading through here. I got my job thanks to that gunfire five years ago when the previous conductor was shot by a guy mad at another guy for insinuating that his mother wasn't a virgin before meeting the man's father. Please, duck down below your windows. Uh, in Opelika, a town known more for textile mills and saloon shootouts in the 1930s, the son of Charlie and Martha Howard was born. Bob had at least one sister, and I think only one sister. I don't know if she was older or younger. I wasn't able to find any reference in any of the main uh, you know, sources, the many sources listed in the show notes to this suck. Only one biography was written about Colonel Howard, and, and I don't even want to name the title or the author because it's pretty shitty. Took about 30 minutes to read, more of a pamphlet than a proper book, and it doesn't really give any details about his life that can't also be found on a variety of military history websites. Uh, and, and that's, I shouldn't really, you know, again, I didn't want to name the author because I don't want to disparage them. I, I just don't know that, you know, any in-depth interviews were ever done with him before he passed. And I don't think any in-depth interviews, uh, interviews have been done with his family since he passed. Uh, Bob was barely old enough to walk when his father joined the fledgling U.S. Army paratroopers along with four uncles, of whom two would soon be killed. His father would also later die of wounds suffered during World War II, shortly after the war, and his death, of course, left a heavy mark on young Bob. Growing up poor in the rural South, Bob and his sister picked cotton to help support his mother and maternal grandmother. And Bob, in addition to growing up as the man of the house, also became a star football player in high school, winning a full scholarship to college in 1956. Full scholarship for football. Huge deal for a young man whose family's so poor he has to work from early childhood on to help support his widowed mother and also his grandmother who's living in the home. And Bob turns it down. Why? Because according to numerous sources, all Bob cared about at this time was, quote, weed, pussy, and whiskey. Over the next several years, Bob would father four different kids with five different women and get high enough to go permanently blind, which would make his later war achievements that much more impressive. And of course, that is nonsense. Get out of here, Lucifina. Go on, get yeah, Jesus Christ. Uh, Bob turned down a full-ride scholarship because all he cared about was serving his country and honoring the military legacy of his dad and uncles. Bob was raised to be a Southern Christian gentleman. He detested vulgarity, which meant he would have, he would have not cared for some of the things I've already said here today. He would have hated this podcast, but that's not going to stop me from honoring him. He said, sir and ma'am, and please and thank you. Cared more about honor and valor than money and status. His word was his bond. He was a man who believed that your character was your action. Dude, walk the fucking walk. Didn't have time for blowhards and phonies. Didn't have time for hubbub, gobbledygook. Right, so shit, shit or get off the pot. He's that kind of guy. Uh, we knew all too well about, uh, you know, or he knew, excuse me, all too well about the high price one could pay for fighting for your country, and he was ready to pay it. The legend begins. July 11th, 1956, just nine days after his 17th birthday, Bob goes to Montgomery, Alabama, and enlists in the Army. 
After completing his basic training, he volunteered for parachute training at Fort Benning, Georgia, only a stone's throw from his hometown of Opelika. After completing the rigorous training there, Howard earned his coveted jump wings and was assigned to the legendary 101st Airborne Division. An excellent soldier, Howard quickly climbed in rank. In 1965, Howard was deployed to Vietnam for the first of what would become five tours, five tours of Nam, where he would see heavy, heavy action. During his first tour, Bob was wounded when a bullet ricocheted and struck him in the face. After getting shot in the face, uh, you know, he wasn't remotely deterred from future fighting. The bullet would lead to the first of eight Purple Hearts, and Bob would receive, yeah, eight Purple Hearts over in Vietnam. While he was recovering in a field hospital, he had a chance meeting with a wounded Special Forces soldier, and that meeting would change the course of his career and life. He quickly recovered from his wound. At the end of his first deployment, Howard was rotated back to the United States, and he was itching to get back to Vietnam. As soon as possible, he volunteered for Special Forces, and then found himself at the infamously difficult Fort Bragg, North Carolina Training Center. An intelligent man, Howard was also described by many who served with him as one of the most physically fit men in any unit in the military. Numerous different authors and soldiers who served with Howard described him this way. Military historian Vance Garrison said, Howard was a strong, strapping young man. He was built like a lumberjack and looked like something you would see out of a Hollywood casting office if they were casting for a man who looked the part of the heroic soldier. It is no surprise that he would later see minor roles in movies, specifically cast as an instructor in John Wayne's, uh, John Wayne's The Green Berets. Howard actually appeared in uh, small roles in two of John Wayne's films. He was also a paratrooper in the World War II D-Day drama, The Longest Day. A hard-charging physical fitness advocate, Howard would later have the local Montagnard tribesmen running around and doing calisthenics on later tours back in Vietnam. The Montagnard, by the way, are the indigenous peoples of the central highlands of Vietnam. The name Montagnard means people of the mountain in French. This dedication to fitness undoubtedly would save his life numerous times. It would serve him well in the Special Forces' brutal qualification or Q course, where he apparently dominated. After completion of his long and difficult training, Howard was awarded his coveted Green Beret, assigned to the 5th Special Forces Group. Soon he was back in Vietnam on his second tour, where things quickly got interesting. Shortly after arriving in Vietnam, a fellow Green Beret by the name of Joe Walker, along with his uh, recon team, had been overrun by enemy fighters, and Howard came to his rescue. Walker, who was seriously wounded, was hiding with the Montagnard warrior. The Montagnards hated the communists and were close allies of the Green Berets. Howard took a dozen men and inserted by helicopter into the area, but due to heavy enemy presence, they couldn't engage the Viet Cong in a straight-up firefight and had to hide out until dark. When Bob Howard felt the coast was clear enough to move from his position, his unit spread out and staying low, he began to search for their comrades. It wasn't long before they came upon bodies of men who'd clearly died in a fierce fight to the death. Howard began feeling around in the darkness for some sign of life when he came upon a familiar skinny leg. He felt upward toward the face of the body and his hands found Walker's signature horn-rimmed glasses. You sweet motherfucker, Walker managed to whisper. And then Howard carried Walker to the LZ, the landing zone, where they were flown to safety in a helicopter. Just knowing that Bob was ready to come and get you meant a lot to us, said Special Forces Recon Team Leader Lloyd Daniels. Yeah, crazy, man. He saved Joe Walker. Saved that fellow Green Beret right there. In early 1967, Howard had performed so well as the young leader of a Green Beret unit, he was assigned to the highly secret and ambiguously named Military Assistance Command Vietnam Studies and Observation Group, MACV-SOG, or just SOG-SOG for short. 
Sog was a highly classified, multi-service, United States Special Operations Command Task Force created on January 24th, 1964 by the Joint Chiefs of Staff as a subsidiary command of the Military Assistant Assistance Command, Vietnam, MACV. It was the best of the best. That's all that really matters to know. Best of the best unit would eventually consist primarily of personnel from the United States Army 5th Special Forces Group, the United States Navy SEALs, the United States Air Force, the Central Intelligence Agency, CIA, elements of the United States Marine Corps Force Reconnaissance Units, which conducted covert, unconventional warfare operations prior to and during the Vietnam, right? Multi-military divisions, and they was each sending their best soldiers to form this, yeah, like, like out of a fucking movie division. This unit conducted strategic reconnaissance missions in the Republic of Vietnam, a.k.a. South Vietnam, the Democratic Republic of Vietnam, a.k.a. North Vietnam, Laos, and Cambodia. SOG carried out the capture of enemy prisoners, rescued downed pilots, conducted rescue operations to retrieve prisoners of war throughout Southeast Asia, and conducted clandestine agent team activities and even psychological operations. Again, the best of the best, baddest of the bad. I'm pretty sure Bo Jangles served in SOG during Vietnam. Actually, I'm positive. He formed and led their canine division, some of the toughest and baddest dogs in the world. Pit bulls, Rottweilers, German Shepherds, Australian Labradoodles, like Penny Pooper and Ginger Bell. Mm-hmm. Penny and Gigi. I'm pretty sure their breed of doodle was created for SOG in Vietnam. I can totally see Penny and Ginger kicking so much ass in the jungle. Yeah, right. Uh, Penny almost got killed by a small deer in her yard last year, and Gigi uh, almost has a psychotic break if anyone around her raises their voice past a comforting, reassuring volume or moves suddenly or looks at her weird. Uh, they're the weakest dogs in history. Uh, Howard Sog unit participated in most of the significant campaigns of the Vietnam War, including the Gulf of Tonkin incident, which was used by the Johnson administration to escalate the U.S.'s involvement in what was up to that point called the Vietnam Conflict. Howard would spend the rest of his time in the Vietnam War as a Sog operator, would go on to become the most highly decorated American serviceman in the war, and in fact, still one of the most highly decorated servicemen in history. He would go on to become the only American serviceman to ever be nominated three times for the nation's highest military honor, the Congressional Medal of Honor, and in only 13 months' time, too. You know, let's talk about what he did to get those nominations. But first, just for context, let's take a look at some of the U.S. military awards Howard won for his valor in combat. Right, Awards I'm sure many of us have heard a lot about uh, and, and awards I'm sure most of us don't know shit about. In order of prestige, they are the Medal of Honor. The Medal of Honor is the United States' uh, highest and most prestigious personal military decoration that may be awarded to recognize U.S. military service members who distinguish themselves in acts of valor. The medal is normally awarded by the President of the United States in name of the Congress. Because the medal is pre uh, presented in the name of Congress, it is often referred to informally as the Congressional Medal of Honor. There are three versions of this medal, one for the Army, one for the Navy, one for the Air Force. Personnel of the Marine Corps and Coast Guard received the Navy version. The Medal of Honor is the oldest continuously issued combat decoration of the United States Armed Forces. It was created by the Navy for the Civil War in 1861, originally named the Medal of Valor. An Army version of the medal named the Medal of Honor established in 1862 to give recognition to men who distinguish themselves, quote, conspicuously by gallantry and intrepidity intrepidity, intrepidity, God damn it, is a word no one fucking says anymore. But you get it, the uh, honor, right? Valor, in combat with an enemy of the United States. Uh, the president normally presents the Medal of Honor at a formal ceremony in Washington, D.C., which is intended to represent the gratitude of the U.S. people, 
with uh, posthumous presentations made to the primary next of kin. According to the Medal of Honor Historical Society of the U.S., there have been only 3,517 medals of honor awarded to the nation's soldiers, sailors, airmen, marines, and coast guardsmen since the decoration's creation, with almost half of them awarded for actions during the four years of the American Civil War. In 1990, Congress designated March 25th annually as National Medal of Honor Day. Due to its prestige and status, the Medal of Honor is afforded special protection under U.S. law against any unauthorized adornment, sale, or manufacture, which includes any associated ribbon or badge. So big, uh, you know, uh, don't don't try and rock this one if you're going to try and pull off some uh, bullshit stolen valor. Big big no no to try and uh, to try and use this one. Because of the need for extreme accuracy, the nomination process for the Medal of Honor may take an excess of 18 months. In a nutshell, the selection process goes like this. First, witnesses to the action are interviewed. Sworn statements are taken. Like It's not easy at all to get this medal. Next, the prospective nominee's commanding officer submits the nomination up, to the, up the chain of command. If more than two years have elapsed since the act of valor occurred, a member of Congress will have to nominate the prospective recipient. Throughout this time, a series of officials will look over the documents, decide whether or not to pass the nomination package along with an approval or suggest the nominee for another lower ranking award. The Distinguished Service Cross is a likely alternative being the second highest medal awarded for valor. If the package moves to the Army channels, it will need to pass through the Army Human Resources Command, Manpower and Reserves Affairs, Chief of Staff of the Army, Secretary of the Army, Secretary of Defense, and then the President. The president has the final say, right? He goes to all those desks, uh, you know, and then in other words, oh yeah, huge fucking deal. The most recent recipient of this award, to my knowledge, is Master Sergeant Matthew Williams. President Trump presented the award to uh, Master Sergeant Williams on October 30th of this year. Williams, a Green Beret weapons sergeant from 3rd Special Forces Group, was presented the award for his actions going above and beyond the call of duty during an April 6, 2008 mission in Nuristan Province, Afghanistan, that came to be known as the Battle of Shock Valley. Thank you for your service, Master Sergeant Williams. May you live a long life and never have to listen to anyone talk shit about soldiers or talk during movies or chew too loud at restaurants or smell farts on an airplane. But for real, I hope life is magical for you after the valiant service you provided for the rest of us. Uh, now let's talk about this next award, the Distinguished Service Cross. Distinguished Service Cross is a super, super easy to get uh, award. Uh, I've gotten three or four for just saying nice things about soldiers. JK! JK, oh my heck. Uh, super prestigious. The Distinguished Service Cross, second highest military award that, that can be given to a member of the U.S. Army and previously the United States uh, Air, uh, Air, Army Air Forces and the U.S. Air Force for extreme gallantry and risk of life in actual combat with an armed enemy force. So yeah, tough-ass qualification. You have to blatantly risk your life to get one. Actions that merit the Distinguished Service Cross must be of such a high degree that they are above those required for all other U.S. combat decorations but don't quite meet the criteria for the Medal of Honor. Uh, the Distinguished Service Cross is equivalent to the Navy Cross for Navy and Marine Corps, the Air Force Cross for, of course, Air Force personnel, and the Coast Guard Cross for those who serve in the Coast Guard. Unlike the Medal of Honor, these medals and all following medals are awarded by the respective branch, not subject to the lengthy nomination process of the Medal of Honor. The Distinguished Service Cross was first awarded during World War I, most often presented by uh, senior officers in the field, the Distinguished Service Cross, distinct from the similarly, similarly named Distinguished Service Medal, awarded to persons in recognition of exceptionally meritorious service to the government of the U.S. in a duty of great responsibility, the Distinguished Service Cross only awarded for actions in combat, where the Service Medal has no such restriction. Next up, the Silver Star. We're just going to do a couple of these. 
Uh, the Silver Star Medal is the U.S. Armed Forces' third highest personal decoration for valor in combat. It's awarded primarily to members of the U.S. Armed Forces for gallantry in action against an enemy of the U.S. The gallantry displayed must have taken place while in action against an enemy of the U.S. while engaged in military operations involving conflict with an opposing foreign force or while serving with friendly foreign forces engaged in an armed conflict against an opposing armed force in the U.S. Um, so, yeah. So, unfortunately, I can't get one for dressing up in a military uniform and taking out, uh, you know, personal enemies, even if I do a really good job and make a super cool shot since I'm not in the military and I'm not uh, fighting a member of an opposing armed force. Instead of the Silver Star, I would be put in prison for murder, uh, which is way less glamorous and prestigious. Finally, the Silver Star is awarded for singular acts of valor or heroism over a brief period, like one or two days of valor. Uh, uh, one or two days of battle, excuse me. Okay, two more. Bronze Star and the Purple Heart. The Bronze Star Medal is awarded to members of the U.S. Armed Forces for either heroic achievement, heroic service, meritorious achievement, or meritorious service in a combat zone. Whenever the medal is awarded by the Army and Air Force for acts of valor in combat, the V device is authorized for wear on the medal. And whenever the medal is awarded by the Navy, Marine Corps, and Coast Guard for acts of valor or meritorious service in combat, the combat V is authorized for wear on the medal. That device is a small bronze capital V, clearly visible on the medal or ribbon when worn. Officers from the other uniformed services of the U.S. are eligible to receive this award, as are foreign soldiers who have served with or alongside a service branch of the U.S. Armed Forces. So that's very cool that we can give that award out to, uh, you know, foreign soldiers who are fighting as allies. Civilians serving with the U.S. military in combat also eligible for this award, which is super cool. For example, a reporter... Joe Galloway was awarded the Bronze Star with a V device during the Vietnam War for rescuing a badly wounded soldier under fire in the Battle of Le Drang in 1965, Hail Nimrod. This act was portrayed in the 2002 Mel Gibson film, We Were Soldiers, where Galloway was portrayed by actor Barry Pepper. Another well-known civilian recipient was a legendary Nobel Prize-winning author, Ernest, Ernest, Ernest? Uh, Ernest Hemingway, for actions that he undertook as a war correspondent in France. Uh, during World War II. Man, Hemingway, man, known to be a very tough son of a bitch. Might have to do a Hemingway suck. That would be an awesome story. Guy died in Idaho. Uh, last military award to describe today, the Purple Heart, the one you, you never want to get, the one Bob Howard received eight times. The Purple Heart is awarded in the name of the president to those who have been wounded or killed while serving on or after April 5th, 1917 with the U.S. military, including its forerunner, the Badge of Military Merit, which took the form of a heart made of purple cloth the Purple Heart is the oldest military award still given to U.S. military members. The only earlier award being the obsolete Fidelity Medallion. The badge of military merit was a, has been around since 1782. Some dude named General George Washington designed it and awarded it. And I, I was wondering too, like I wonder if General George Washington is uh, related to President George Washington. It's weird that during the Revolutionary War, there was a dude named General George Washington. And then right after the war, there was a dude named President George Washington. And they both sound super cool. I also was wondering if anyone, uh, if anybody stopped listening to this episode just a few seconds ago, uh, what they were thinking. You know, just thinking, how the fuck does he not know that General George Washington and President George Washington are the same dude? Jesus. One dude's name wasn't General and the other dude's name wasn't President. The General became the President. Fucking idiot. Uh, but back to Howard. He won eight Purple Hearts, was actually wounded in battle 14 times, as we said. Uh, and Howard was awarded all these medals, some multiple times, the medals we just went over. All right. 
give you an idea of this guy's overall military experience. Now back to the timeline. November of 1967, Howard is honored for the first time with a Medal of Honor nomination. A company-sized hatchet force needed insertion to destroy a large weapons and rice cache in southern Laos. A hatchet force was a special operations team of American and South Vietnamese members of SOG who carried out small covert operations along the Ho Chi Minh Trail. Hatchet force units specialized in search and destroy missions, locating uh, missing American servicemen. Cool ass name, by the way, to hatchet force. No weak links in a hatchet force. If in a magical scenario, I was to serve in war and, and, and would be super brave and useful and I, and I knew I would be okay, you know, which I know automatically makes me not brave for wanting this fantastical guarantee. In that scenario, I would want to be serving in hatchet force as opposed to serving in like a, like a wet noodle force or a chicken gumbo force. Not nearly as impressive. You find one of those hatchet forces? Holy shit, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I, found, a, I found a force too, man. I was a... I was, a, I was in a wet noodle force. I mean, we didn't really fight per se, you know, because no one really fights in the wet noodle force. It was our job to kind of come into an area after all the fighting was for sure done and we would hide. And if people saw, you know, uh, you know, found us or whatever, like in our hiding spots, you know, we would just immediately surrender and then hope that those people would tell us that the war was in fact long over. And if, and if, you know, they would tell us that it was long over, it was our job as a wet noodle force member to constantly say like, but are you sure? Like, you're sure it's all over. Like, you're sure. And then we'd beg and stuff and kind of plead. And then, you know, we supposed to keep doing that until no one would talk to us anymore. And then that's how you, like, that's how you would know for sure, for sure that it was all done. Thanks to the, thanks to the, I'm going to show myself out. Anywho, anywho, the site of the hatchet force, or the site the hatchet force, excuse me, wanted to destroy was already under surveillance by a SOG recon, or recon team. And Howard volunteered to land another team and lead the force to the link up with the first unit. Heavy fire greeted the hatchet force, damaging several helicopters, but the team still managed to land and Howard then guided them between the numerous NVA patrols scouring the area. After completing the link up, Howard and his men slipped back into the jungle, scouting for potential ambushes. That's when he found some unsuspecting enemy soldiers, cut them down with his M16. Moving again from the base of a hill, Howard and his unit were almost mowed down by enemy machine gun fire, coming from an earthen bunker, almost invisible with all the layers of leafy vegetation camouflaging it. Howard's team returned fire as best they could, but then an NVA sniper pinned them down. 28-year-old Howard was like, fuck that. He crawled closer towards the enemy machine gun nest, even though he had to expose himself to sniper fire to do so. And the sniper did fire on him. And then Howard killed the sniper with counterfire. A muzzle flashed from the trees up the hill. Howard locked his sights onto where the muzzle had flashed, fired a burst, pulled a SEMO hi-ha, waited for the enemy to expose themselves before quickly taking them out. The NVA sniper who was up in a tree was dead before he hit the ground. Continuing towards the machine gun nest, Howard charged it, totally exposed, firing towards it continuously, then shooting its occupants at point-blank range, fucking Rambo. The dude was a real-life Rambo. After taking out this bunker, this nest, more enemy machine gun fire rang out from another bunker further up the hill. Moving his team up, Howard called in for air support. A bombing run was made on the position, appearing to silence it. Howard crawled up to the hill alone to check the results. Suddenly, more machine gun fire opened up. The bombing hadn't taken them all out. Too close to move away from this, uh, you know, next NVA machine gun nest without exposing himself to being cut down. He had to crawl closer. He's alone now, separated from the other men. He crawls closer until the NVA gun barrel was literally six inches away from his head. Flame spouting tracers shooting at his team. And that's when uh, Howard flipped a grenade through the position's narrow firing opening. Then a second later, he was, you know, uh, showered with huge 
chunks of dirt from the blast that killed the enemy soldier inside. And, and, and you might think that this is what got him nominated for that medal. Nope, just warming up this day. After taking out the sniper, after taking out two separate machine gun bunkers, basically alone, after shooting other enemy soldiers in a prior firefight earlier that day, Howard then engaged with more NVA combatants. More NVA troops began to invade the area after Howard took out the second machine gun nest. Suddenly, Howard's hatch force, uh, hatchet force unit was seriously outnumbered. Howard and his men fell back, retrieved an M72 light anti-tank weapon, a law, and returned. Howard stood up in the firefight for better aim as bullets are zinging all around him. He sends a rocket streaking into an enemy bunker. The position ruptured into a fire pit. Stunned NVA remaining on the hill abandoned their positions, thinking that a much larger force had moved in, leaving the cash site to be destroyed uh, and just, you know, taken out. Mission accomplished. Dude was like an over-the-top 80s action movie hero where, where, you, where you find yourself looking at the screen being like, oh, come on! Come on! Too much! Who just stands there and just, you know, and just shoots all these guys and then what? Like none of the bad guys can fucking shoot? Can, can none of these bad guys aim? Just, just standing there? Really? No one hits him? Like this was his real life. It wasn't an over-the-top movie. This is documented. Numerous witnesses witnessed all of this, right? They had to for these medal nominations. Howard was recommended for the Medal of Honor. Wasn't given it incredibly for that. It was downgraded to that, you know, second highest decoration for valor, the Distinguished Service Cross. And how nuts is that, right? Like you have to do all of what he just did and, and you don't get the best medal. Like you get the second best because it's just so hard. Like the bar is so high to get these medals. Howard's second Medal of Honor nomination came a year later, November 1968. He landed with another hatchet force to lure NVA forces away from a CIA team operating deep in Laos. This is some intense like movie shit. For days, their journey was oddly uneventful, almost eerie in its calm as the unit made their way along roads through tangled jungle and moonscapes of bomb craters. Howard and the experienced NCOs fighting with him that day knew something had to be up. It felt like they were being drawn into an ambush. The force leader, an inexperienced captain, shrugged off warnings, continued pressing onwards. Just uh, as they were about to cross another field, the head of the column halted. A young lieutenant radioed back that the Montagnards were begging him not to walk into the field. The captain rejected their pleas, told everyone to keep moving forward. This is like a scene out of Platoon or Full Metal Jacket now, where you're watching some dickhead, you know, leader, and you're just like, fuck, come on, don't, don't be a fucking idiot, dude, you're going to get your guys killed. What are you doing? Stop it. He didn't stop. The lieutenant kept everyone marching forward, keeping low. Howard ran up to the lieutenant and said, can't you see them? There's an enemy in that wood line over there. The lieutenant shook his head. He didn't see anything. He doubted Howard did. So Howard said, okay, I'll kill two and then you'll see him. Then he raised his rifle, ticked off a shot, an enemy soldier fell dead to the ground. Now the lieutenant saw them and in a second he'd feel them. A storm of return fire leaped out at the hatchet force from the trees. They all hit the ground. Before taking cover, the, the lieutenant was shot. Seeing the lieutenant wounded, Howard performed first aid on him, took shrapnel in his back and legs from a rocket-propelled grenade, an RPG, as he applied tourniquets, right? He's getting hit as he's helping. Once he stabilized the lieutenant, Howard retrieved a law in a few mountain yards and then led them in a charge against a new target that emerged. It was a PT-76, a Soviet-built amphibious tank in another part of the woods. It had vectored its machine gun fire directly at Howard and the mountain yards as they closed in. Howard dodged between trees to get a shot off as the tank's gun continued to track him. Finally, he's able to flank it and fire the law into the boat-shaped vehicle's turret. An explosion and a rain of sparks misses, uh, marks the hit. Dead center, yet the gun keeps firing. Howard fires another round just below it. 
right? More hissing flames churn out of the fractured turret. Now it's silenced. Dude just hid behind a tree, popped out, took a couple shots at a fucking tank, destroyed it. Wolverines! You usually get that reference or you don't. Bojangles got it. It's one of his favorite movies. The original, not the remake. Fucking Team Swayze forever. As the day wore on, the hatchet force continued to fight against growing odds, seeing dozens fall dead or wounded. They struggled to establish a defensive perimeter. Howard himself got wounded again by enemy fire. As a medevac, a medical evacuation helicopter approached, the enemy drew a bead on it, peppered its olive skin with dozens of holes and began to slip sideways, right? The pilot fighting for control, it lumbered a few seconds more and then crashed in flames some 300 yards away in the same wood line where that NVA had returned fire earlier. Not good. Watching a crewman leap from the shattered bird and then collapse, Howard, actively bleeding from some earlier wounds, ran alone into the field towards the crash site. Bullets crisscrossing and nipping at him as he forced his battered body to reach the burning Huey. He makes it. Checking over the crew, he realizes one of the door gunners was dead and the other was unable to move as the pilot helped a wounded co-pilot free from the crash. Howard lifted the injured door gunner into his arms. That's a grown-ass man he's fucking picking up. Told the pilot to follow him, stay close to the ground. What was left of the hatchet force provided cover fire as Howard led the men in, runs back across the field carrying a dude while wounded, Fell and rose several times, right? Not from taking cover, but just from exhaustion. Finally reaches the safety of another medevac. Howard still, uh, Howard was urged to get on board this chopper, but refused. He refuses because his unit is still under uh, fire. They're still in a firefight and he wants to help. The wounded Howard fights the rest of the day with his unit, then sleeps in the jungle that night, then fights the next day, bloodstained and tired. The second day, he surprises three NVA soldiers, kills two, tackles another who he brings back as a prisoner for interrogation. And again, he's fucking wounded during all this. This prisoner tells them how many enemies they'd faced or that they were facing, excuse me, a battalion of roughly like 500 troops was lurking around them while a regiment of another 1,500 troops was gathering to march towards them from a position just a few miles away. A hatchet force, you know, uh, oftentimes has as few as 16 dudes in it. They were slightly outnumbered. None of the sources reveal exactly how many men, uh, how many men fought alongside Howard during this conflict. I'm guessing it was more than 16, but I'm also guessing it was way less than 500, way, way less than 1,500. With enemy numbers, uh, uh, when, when enemy numbers were obtained, the captain of this hatchet force now insisted on being medevaced out of the fight, despite suffering only a minor flesh wound. Meanwhile, Howard's skin had been perforated over 50 times by shrapnel from enemy fire. He has 50, like, you know, chunks of shrapnel sticking in him at this point. His clothes are shredded. Uh, he still wants to fight. Fucking Rambo. Uh, the captain did, in fact, medevac himself out, leaves Howard and the remaining NCOs, non-commissioned officers, if I haven't already said so, uh, to run the show. The force manages to survive yet another night in the jungle, surrounded, outnumbered, right? Howard calling the shots. The next day, Howard and the remaining men successfully extracted after more firefights, for these actions, Howard nominated again for another Medal of Honor, and he didn't get it. Isn't that fucking crazy? After all that, he didn't get it. He was downgraded, this time to a Silver Star, third highest award for bravery. The captain, who was extracted a day before, that guy nominated himself for a Distinguished Service Cross, and he got it. Fucking politics. Okay, so stitched up and put back into action again only a few weeks later. December 28th, right after Christmas, 1968, Howard was placed as a second in command of a large size hatchet force led by Lieutenant Jim Gerson. They were sent in on what was called a bright light mission to Cambodia, trying to recover a missing Green Beret. 
Landing under fire, the force pushed the NVA back and engaged several more clusters of enemy fire before reaching the base of a hill where the missing man's radio beacon was sending a signal. Howard muttered to Jerson that they'd probably get ambushed, but there was no way in hell they were leaving a man behind, so they headed up that hill. Sure enough, NVA were waiting for them. They opened fire. Explosions and gunfire rocked the mountain, hitting Jerson, Howard, and several other hatchet members. Howard would later recall, there were five that were killed near me. During the ambush, the blast blew me back and upside down. When I finally came to, I was blown up in a crump on the ground. My weapon was blown out of my hand. I can remember looking up and seeing red. I couldn't see. I said a prayer and hoped I wasn't blind. I knew I was in a lot of pain. Both my hands were hurting and I couldn't get up. After a few minutes, Howard's vision began to come back. And by the way, what happened to him in this situation, his hands were badly burned and a a bullet had ricocheted and hit him in the fucking head, like in the forehead. That's why his, his vision is blurred. He said, blood was running down my face under my eyes and that's why I couldn't see. I smelled the most horrible smell. There was this big flame and there was smoke and there was people screaming and hollering. Dude had woken up in combat hell. The screams were the screams of wounded and dying Montagnards who Howard was hearing and smelling being burned alive by an NVA soldier with a fucking flamethrower. Can you imagine that? Holy shit. You're fighting in a tropical jungle so very far from home. You never know where enemy fire is going to come from, you know, and, and, and then on this quiet hill you're climbing up, you know, becomes alive with bullets and explosives. You get hit in the head. You get blown unconscious by an explosive blast. Shrapnels cut up your face. You know, you got the, the bullet ricocheted into your head. You're cut up all over. Your hands are all burnt up. You wake up to the screams and smell of men who are you were just fighting with, literally being burned alive with a flamethrower. What the fuck do you do? You start digging with your hands and hope to start a new life inside the earth with the mole people, some wackadoodle sink or living beneath us. You run around crying, just scream, please, can someone please find my mom? Please, I, I really want my mom, please. Dear God. I'm guessing no one really knows what they're going to act, you know, what they're going to do in a situation like that until they're in it. I never want to find out. Robert motherfucking Howard knew how he would react, though, like a dude with giant stone balls. That's how. This is how Howard would describe what happened next. The guy walked over to me and was getting ready to burn me. The lieutenant was badly wounded about five feet from me, and he, the guy with the flamethrower, paused between the two of us. Although Howard had lost his rifle, he still had an M33 fragmentation grenade that he always carried attached to his gear. He took it every time he went to the field just in case he ever found himself in a situation exactly like this, right, M33 fragmentation grenade. Howard felt for the grenade, found it, and then as soon, uh, and then as he held it in his hand and pulled the safety pin, the NVA stood over him and the two men, and this type of grenade, by the way, is when you watch movies like Platoon and Full Metal Jacket, the little round green one, it's exactly what you're thinking of. And then, uh, you know, this NVA guy is standing over him. Uh, the two men are staring at each other, these two NVA soldiers, for several seconds before the one moves away, shouting commands at his comrades as Howard's grenade now sails towards them. After he hears the explosion, unable to walk because of his wounds, he kills these two guys, then pulls himself, drags himself to a badly wounded Lieutenant Jerson, and with terribly burned hands, begins to painfully drag the six foot four inch, 220 pound injured man back down the hill to cover. Knowing they would never make it undetected, Howard hides Jerson in some vegetation, tries to make it the rest of the way alone to go get help. Crawling on his back, he bumps into a log. On the other side of the log is laying a young American soldier who is frozen in fear and terror watching this whole scene without ever firing a shot. As enemy soldiers begin to close in on those two guys, Howard and this other kid, Howard tells the soldier to give him his weapon. I mean, (laughs) reading this shit is, is more exciting 
Like when I first started reading it, I mean, just now, I mean, telling you guys now, more exciting than watching the best action like war movie I've ever seen. It blows me away how calm and collected this dude was in heavy action, how brave and tough. I, I probably would have been that young soldier frozen with fear. I mean, I would hope not, but shit, this stuff is terrifying. The young soldier gives Howard his pistol. Howard immediately fires it and kills an NVA soldier who was so fucking close at that point that he falls on top of Howard dead. Seconds later, fire from the rapidly advancing enemy strikes an ammunition pouch on Howard's belt. He gets shot, hits his belt, sets off a number of rounds in it. Then he says, here I am thinking that I was, I was blown up again, remembered Howard. As, uh, quote, green American troops watched the desperate scene from behind cover, too frightened to return fire. Howard recalled, I ran out of ammo for the 45, the pistol that other soldier had given him. And it got kind of confusing at that point. Fading in and out of consciousness now, Howard again drags Lieutenant Gerson farther down the hill until he runs into a wounded medic. Howard orders him to keep going and keep the lieutenant alive. Howard then orders three other medics that were close by to stop treating the wounded and set up a defensive perimeter around them to get every able soldier inside of it. After making sure they had managed to do that, the terribly wounded Howard, who by that time is running purely on adrenaline, tells the gathered men that I've got bad news and I've got worse news. The bad news is that a viper just bit me in the dick. The worst news is that two of you are going to have to suck out the venom. And then the guy's like, why, 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 why two of us? Why can't one guy do it? No, that's not right. That's not right. <laughs> that was ridiculous. He told the gathered men, you all are going to fight or die. That's his real quote. You all are going to fight or die, according to Major John L. Plaster, right? One of the men who fought with him at this time. I quoted him early, earlier, the obituary uh, writer, or the guy who read that at, you know, after, uh, after Howard's death. He said that hopeless was not in Howard's vocabulary. I love that. Hail Nimrod. Weren't we just talking about hope and hopelessness last week? Fuck yeah, we were. If you abandon hope, you might as well abandon plans for continuing to breathe because in a sense, you're already dead. Howard always had hope. The medics Howard had just held, uh, or just, you know, made to set up that defensive perimeter. They're able to locate three strobe lights, which Howard orders put around their position in a triangle to mark their position for air support, but air support wouldn't be coming for quite some time. After four more hours of intense fighting, several Air Force pilots volunteer to fly in and attempt to rescue. Before the pilots can arrive, Howard's small group is hit with another massive attack. This assault is so devastating that Howard called in a suicidal airstrike, airstrike literally within a few feet of their position. Basically, just shoot shoot, shoot right where we're at and hope that you get a bunch of enemies. Miraculously, it works. He and his men are not blown up along with the enemy. Helicopters circling nearby are able to finally get in and extract Howard and his band of survivors. Not many left. Here's some intense info. Of the 37 men that Howard pulled together into that perimeter, only six would fly out alive. Six. Out of the 37, and from the 37, that was, you know, from the original fighting force, which uh, numbers weren't given, but I'm assuming it was much, much larger. In the end, only six get out. Howard ensures all his men are on board before he hauls his broken body, hallucinating, mercifully passing out before reaching the hospital. Because of his bravery and competence in leading his men in the face of overwhelming odds, Howard is awarded a direct battlefield commission. He's promoted from Sergeant First Class to First Lieutenant right then and there. Reviewers read the after-action reports of his heroism with incredu uh, incredulity. I think uh, I, didn't get, I didn't prep that word. God, I fucking hate that word. Anyway, they're like, I don't, I don't know. I don't buy it. The report sounds like something coming from the imagination of a Hollywood screenwriter, not from real life, right? They're, they're doubting it. But it happened. Howard nominated for another Medal of Honor. Of course he is. And this time he gets it. On a sunny day in Washington, D.C., you know, many months later, 
He and his uh, wife and young daughter, uh, Robert Howard, stand silent as President Richard Nixon drapes the Congressional Medal of Honor around his neck. He would later recall, I can remember the president walking up to me with the Medal of Honor in his hand, and then he took it and he put it around my neck and he said, Captain, are you okay? You're looking pale. Then this incredibly heroic man says, Sir, I don't know if I'm going to pass out or not, but I think my heart just stopped beating. Well, he just smiled and said, This great country appreciates you, Bob. Man, love this dude. All the shit he did for his country. You know, there's his giant stone balls on the battlefield and he's still humble. Still getting nervous to meet the president. Still, still, you know, uh, nervous to be recognized for his heroism. After the Medal of Honor ceremony was completed, President Nixon asked him what he wanted to do the rest of that memorable day. Lunch with the president, a tour of the White House, almost anything. And Howard said he wanted a sword fight. And president Nixon looked alarmed. A secret suck agent started to move towards the two men. Howard reassured them, saying, no, no, no. Not an actual sword fight, just you and me. Peeing in the same toilet at the same time, crossing our streams. That kind of sword fight. Before my dad passed away, he said he hoped to someday sword fight in the White House bathroom with the leader of the free world. And today, I'd love to honor him. And of course, that's not what Howard asked. Uh, that's my mental illness manifesting itself as constant ludicrous flights of fantasy. No, this is what Howard asked the president. He asked simply to be taken to the tomb of the unknown soldier to share his thoughts quietly with others who had gone before him. Man, that's some heavy shit. Tragically, the U.S. media reflecting the anti-war sentiments of the day did not say much of anything about Howard, about his valiant deeds, about him getting that award. By the time he received the Medal of Honor, he was America's most highly decorated active duty serviceman and almost no one knew who he was. Had Howard fought in World War II instead of Nam, he would have gotten a lot more press. He would have been heralded a hero. I'm sure a lot more people would know about him today. By the time President Nixon awarded Howard his medal, he'd served in five tours, spent 58 months in combat, and been wounded 14 times. Okay, let's, uh, let's go back to the Vietnam now. Despite his lack of recognition, Howard went on to serving to the best of his ability. Uh, he, actually, after the war, after he served in the war, after his five tours, he became a training officer at the Army's Airborne School, then went on to Ranger School, graduating in Class 773 in May 1973 serving with the 2nd Ranger Battalion at Fort Lewis, Washington as a company commander. He continued to excel at everything he did, making distinguished honor graduate in his office advanced course class. From 77 to 78, he served as the Mountain Ranger Training Instructor. As if all that wasn't enough, he also found time to earn two different master's degrees. He later served as an officer in charge of Special Forces training at Camp McCall near Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and later commanding the Mountain Ranger Training Camp at Dahlonega, Georgia where he did his most uh, to inspire young students, where he did his utmost to inspire young students. Howard's frame of reference was SOG, hard combat, the toughest kind, against terrible odds with impossible missions. He knew good men would die or fail in combat without martial skills, tactical knowledge, physical conditioning. Howard, now in his 40s, was famous for leading runs and long-distance rucksack marches, stronger than men half his age. Usually, he outran his entire class of students. A whole generation of Army Special Forces and Rangers earned their qualifications under his shining example with some graduates among the senior leaders of today's Special Forces and Ranger units. His highest assignment was as the commander of Special Forces Detachment Korea. He might have gone even higher, but he dared to publicly suggest that American POWs had been knowingly left in enemy hands and was willing to testify to that before Congress in 1986. After he retired in 1992 at the age of 52 as a full colonel, he went through multiple surgeries to correct the many, many injuries he'd suffered over the years. After retirement, Howard could not stop helping GIs. He spent another 20 years working with the Department of Veterans Affairs, helping disabled vets. 
He had a reputation for rankling his superiors and as an unapologetic advocate for veterans. Over the years, his fighting spirit never waned. In 2004, at the age of 64, he sat with the Green Berets of the 1st Special Forces Group at Fort Lewis, Washington, who laughed and cheered when he joked about still being tough enough to take on any two men in attendance and beat their asses. I've seen videos of this dude at this age, and I think you might have been right. I think you might have taken him. He was built like a fucking machine. It's like a fucking Skynet built him. After retiring from the VA, Colonel Howard often visited with American servicemen to speak about his combat experiences, making five trips to Iraq and Afghanistan. In the fall of 2009, at the age of 69, despite recently being given a death sentence by doctors, he still flew halfway across the world, visited troops in Germany, Bosnia, and Kosovo. Despite increasing pain and sickness, he had pancreatic cancer. On Veterans Day 2009, just over a month before he died, he attended a memorial ceremony. Pancreatic cancer, by the way, one of the, one of the most aggressive and lethal of all cancers. It's a real motherfucker. Only 5% of those diagnosed uh, live for longer than five years. And that's in Western nations with access to the most advanced medical care. And it's very painful, notoriously painful. In his final days in a hospital in Waco, Texas, in December of 2009, old special forces and ranger friends slipped past a no visitor sign hanging from his hospital room door to see him. When SOG vets Ben Lyons and Martin Bennett and a civilian friend Chuck Hendricks visited him, Howard climbed from his bed to model the uniform jacket he would be buried in, festooned with the Medal of Honor, rows upon rows of ribbons. A, a proud master parachutist and a military skydiver, he showed them the polished jump boots he'd been working on and asked Bennett to touch them up a bit more with a spit shine. Though his feet might not be visible in his coffin, he wanted the shine just right. The fucking class this dude exuded. Legend until the very end. Talk about facing your death with dignity. Holy shit. Dude was ready to meet his maker. He wanted to look good in that coffin. As Howard's old battle partners left, Colonel Howard uh, thanked Bennett, then saluted him with his hand held crispy to his, crisply to his eyebrow until Bennett returned it. And then Colonel Bob Howard passed away two days before Christmas. By all accounts, he was a, an especially bad patient. He was a nightmare for his nurses, refused to take painkillers. He would often swill them around, then spit them out after the nurse left. After the nurse left, This toughest of tough son of a bitch wanted to be clear-headed and lucid until the very end, and he was, just dealt with the pain. After his family had been told on several occasions that Howard had only hours left, and he kept proving the doctors wrong, finally the head of the one of the world's most, you know, or the one of the world's most dangerous soldiers, right? A man who became a peaceful gardener in his spare time in his last few years. He finally fell sideways onto his daughter, Missy's shoulder, right? The, the daughter who was there for, for all of it when he was, when he's in the hospital there and America lost what was arguably one of their greatest warriors ever. Having lived the last years of his life in Waco, Texas, upon hearing the news of his death, Governor Rick Perry issued a statement saying, Howard was the bravest soldier I ever met. His unshakable commitment to freedom displayed in countless episodes of battlefield gallantry live on in the actions of our military men and women who continue to serve in hostile conditions overseas. Two months later, February 22nd, 2010, America's greatest unsung hero was finally laid to rest among his few or his fellow fallen heroes in Arlington National Cemetery, given full military honors. I would hope he was given full military honors. I mean, if Colonel Robert Howard didn't qualify for that, who would? Two years later, November 3rd, 2012, the St. Clair County, Alabama Economic Development Council celebrated the opening of the new Colonel Robert L. Howard State Veterans Home. St. Clair County, just a little northwest of Howard's boy, boyhood home county of Lee County. 
2014, Howard was announced as the recipient of the United States Special Operation Command's Bull Simmons, excuse me, Bull Simons Award for his lifetime achievements in special operations. Arthur Bull Simons had been a heavily decorated Army Special Forces member who'd also fought in Vietnam. And even though his name graces the Lifetime Special Operations Achievement Award, he wasn't nearly decorated, as decorated as Howard. And not saying that to disparage Bull Simons at all, it just illustrates how truly special Robert Howard truly was. And that takes us out of today's Time Suck timeline. Good job, soldier. You made it back. Barely. What a legend, right? Uh, Time Sucker Zach Martin did the preliminary research on Howard a long time ago. Glad I could finally share his story today. Great job, Zach. Uh, I didn't know if there was enough info on Howard to do a full two-hour suck on him, uh, but I'm glad I could, you know, work it in today. There's just, you know, uh, sadly not a lot of info on this incredible hero. Really inspiring, man, to, to bravely face so much battle, to bravely face his own death, to give so much back to veterans and servicemen and women, to handle himself with such class and courage and dignity his entire life. Reminds me of the Chesty Puller Suck, Suck 60, from November of 2017. They just don't make meat sacks like Chesty or Robert very often. Dude led such an admirable life. No scandals, no period of falling into drug abuse or degeneracy of any kind. He grew up without a dad, lost a dad, several others to war. Could have kicked back on campus, been the big man riding out that full football scholarship while others went to fight. Nope. Entered the army at 17. Couldn't wait to get to Vietnam. Engaged in more firefights than maybe arguably anyone else did in that war. Came home to a social climate that didn't fucking care about veterans. Staunchly anti-war. Stayed in the military. Dedicated the rest of his life to the military, to fighting for veterans. Uh, you know, literally until he was bedridden the last few weeks of his life with pancreatic cancer. Spent his last few days hoping he'd look sharp in his coffin. Fucking legend. A few years before he died, Robert spoke to a graduating class of infantry leaders, and this is one of the messages he gave them. You, young men, your word is your bond, but your character is your actions. You have demonstrated the character that the forefathers bequeathed you that made this great nation that we got today. Never surrender your weapon and face the enemy. Man, I picture him saying that with some steel in his eye. And I'd like to tweak that message into, into one for all of you, right? For myself too. Never surrender your dreams and face your life. Hail Nimrod. Before going on to our first uh, uh, or our top, top top five takeaways for today. Not our first of uh, two, just, just one. Uh, it, but it is a double feature of sorts. Let's do a rundown of the most prestigious medals Colonel Howard was given, right? Dude was awarded the Medal of Honor, Distinguished Service Cross, Silver Star, Defense Superior Service Medal, four Legion of Merit Medals, four Bronze Stars, eight Purple Hearts, three Meritorious Service Medals, three Air Medals, Joint Service Commendation, and seven Army Commendation Medals. And he could bench press 3,000 pounds without warming up, and he could shoot an apple off an eagle's head while it flew from two miles out with no scope, while blindfolded, and he had two dicks, one for everyday use, one for special occasions. And it is now time for Top 5 Takeaways. Time suck. Top 5 Takeaways. Number one, Robert Howard retired from the U.S. Army after 36 years of service as a full colonel and as the most highly decorated service member on active duty. Number two, Howard died on December 23rd, 2009 at the age of 70, worried mostly about his boots and his uniform, how they would look at his funeral, 
He now rests at Arlington National Cemetery, Section 7A, Grave 138. If you ever want to stop by and pay your respects. Number three, once wounded so badly he couldn't walk, he demanded that a frightened soldier give him his gun, which he did, and then Howard immediately shot an enemy soldier standing so close that the man fell on top of Howard. Number four, dude once stood up holding an M72 light anti-tank weapon, a law in an active firefight, risking being shot by uh, bullets whizzing past him just so he could get a better shot off against the enemy. And he did destroy the enemy. Wolverines! Number five, a new info, Robert also sounds like he was a great dad. Before he died, his lone son, Robert Jr., was interviewed by the Columbus Ledger Inquirer, 2006, while he was in basic training at Fort Benning, Georgia. Robert said this about his father, I admire him greatly for everything he's done. My dad is a hero. Agreed. In addition to his son, Army Sergeant Robert Howard Jr., uh, he was survived. Uh, Howard was survived also by three daughters, Melissa, a.k.a. Missy, Rosalind, and Denisha. Uh, Howard Jr. served in the Army for six years, including a 15-month deployment to Afghanistan with the 173rd Airborne Brigade Combat Team, also served as a Special Forces member. Three generations of Howards fighting on behalf of America. I thank the Howard family for their incredible service. Time suck. Top five takeaways. All right. Now on to the next part of today's suck. Little look back on how far the suck came in uh, 2019. Little peek behind the curtain for anyone interested on what goes on here at this in the suck dungeon here at Bad Magic Productions. Before we talk about projects or you know victories, struggles, plans, all that stuff, let's uh let's have some fun at my expense. We haven't we haven't done the idiots of the internet segment very much recently, so let's do a special edition of the idiots of the internet right now. Uh, one where you know uh you know the the suck roasts itself. Uh, let me let me just push this button and, and just well let's just get into it. Idiots of the internet. Uh, for today's idiots of the internet, let's uh let's look at some 2019 time suck one star iTunes reviews. I think it's a I think it's good to look at your critics from time to time. Right, it thickens your skin. Sometimes it really does help you improve. You know, you're not supposed to feed the trolls, but sometimes it can be a lot of fun. So let's do that. Let's do that right now. Uh, I, I like to use their put-downs to inspire me to push forward. Uh, on December 17th, Ang for one. We'll kind of work backwards here through the, through the year of some of these reviews. On December 17th, Ang for one left a one-star review with the subject line of confused, writing, how did this podcast get five stars? I'm not saying it's terrible, but this guy loses track of what he's talking about constantly. Sounds like he's babbling about whatever comes to mind. Also, the fact that he thinks Hillary Clinton would feel bad about killing someone over Trump is someone is baffling. I think he meant someone is, is somewhat baffling. Do you even pay attention to politics? If not, you should stay off the topic. Well, first off, Ang for one, you are saying this podcast is terrible. Hence the one-star rating. So let's just fucking be honest. And babbling about whatever comes to mind by babbling, do you mean reciting 25,000 plus words of crafted research every week? Uh, I think maybe this is the jokes are throwing you. I'm, I'm guessing that you're not a real big thinker. And what are you talking about with the Hillary and Trump shit? Uh, I'm guessing I've talked about Trump and Hillary less than maybe any other podcast host out there the past three years. Like I, I intentionally stay away from it because there seems to be a lot of other people talking about it. No shortage of media attention dedicated to dissecting Trump's every tweet and previously to scrutinizing, you know, every one of Hillary's emails, et cetera, et cetera. And also, why are some Trump supporters, emphasis on some, like Ang for one, 
the most sensitive motherfuckers who have ever lived. My God. If you can't handle one person mentioning Trump or any other politician and less than glowing, you know, uh, he or she is God's gift to the universe, uh, you know, terms, make an appointment with your fucking counselor. You need to have your head examined. I've never seen this before. Not with Obama or George W. or Clinton. Before that, I was too young. People love those presidents too, but they didn't lose their goddamn minds when anyone just hinted at any kind of dissent. He's a president, not a fucking dictator. Jesus. Let's calm the fuck down on the political front, right? Be, be passionate, but maybe don't be insane. You know, are, are you related to him? Or is he one of your business associates? Does he pay in your kid's college? No, then why the fuck do you care that much? Jesus, I've n- I'll never understand it, right? And I get like being respectful of the office, but then there is fanaticism. Then there is being intolerant of criticism. You know who's truly intolerant of criticism? Fucking dictators, cult leaders. Come on. Let's not, let's not, let's not make it that crazy anymore. Let's lighten the fuck up about that stuff. Uh, Necked up, cunty third. And now I'm, I'm gonna get more fucking reviews just because I dared fucking, you know, hint at any semblance of dissent of King Trump. Uh, next up, uh, Cunty 13. <laughs> That's how it's spelled. November 8th, leaves a one-star review writing, great comedy, however. Then Cunty lets me have it, writing, this guy makes fun of child sex cults and sex trafficking, calling it conspiracy and nonsense. People like this make me sick. There are communities of people out there that actually come out of this with scarring from this stuff. And you just crap all over it. Of course they don't find evidence on the surface. They hide. Get your head out of you know where and stop telling people they're idiots and conspiracy theorists. Coward. Okay, Cunsey. Uh, first off, let me let me just start this by saying that you're an idiot and you're a conspiracy theorist. All right? And I just, I, I can't respect anybody who says, uh, pull your head out of you know where. Say fucking ass, you child. Uh, also remember that one time when I said that child sex cults and sex trafficking was inherently funny. Remember that? Remember when I did that? Remember when I made fun of the victims of child sexual abuse? Uh, nope. You sure don't. Cause I never did that. What I did do, cunty, you fucking idiot and conspiracy theorist is make fun of people who ignore the people who are the vast majority of sexual abusers. People like, I don't know, dads, uncles, some moms, priests, boy scout leaders, the dude next door, right? The grocery store clerk, the fucking coach, the janitor. Right? People who are obsessed with this notion of large-scale satanic sexual abuse cults. I, why do I make fun of those people? Because I've painstakingly pointed out over and over that there's no evidence that these big satanic ritualized sex abuse cults have ever existed. People get molested all the time by other regular-ass people. Well, not regular. Fucking pedophiles who appear to be regular-ass people who are not in weird cults. Who are just, you know, living lives and fucking diddling. Uh, so, yeah. So, the accusations... Um, yeah, they, they have. There's been paranoid. They can have been cons- paranoid conspiracy theorist, horseshit, cunty, you idiot. Uh, did Epstein maybe cover for other powerful, wealthy people who sexually abused minors? Yeah, of course. But he wasn't uh, doing that to please Satan. Wasn't doing that as part of some Baphomet centric ritual. That is what I've been making fun of. If you've been paying attention, which you have not, cunty. Uh, and I'm loving this, by the way. This is fun. I like getting fired up. This is very cathartic as well for me. I hope you're enjoying it as well. Uh, next up, June 5th, St. Judas left a one-star review with the subject line of unbalanced. Uh, then they wrote, the content is as advertised, a fun waste of time. However, this man continues to repeat firmly rooted in Cold War propaganda. He will claim to be unpolitical until any leftist ideas are brought up. Then he calls everyone with these ideas stupid. 
It's just super annoying to see someone try so hard to get on Joe Rogan. What is big deal? Say to this. You sound like communists. I like you. You want to jerk soft communist shamecock alongside the Chikatilo. We'll wrestle filthy capitalist American scumpigs together. Seriously, calm down, Snowflake. Right? I, I love this, by the way. I can pick uh, reviews from you. I love that, like, some people will leave one-star reviews saying that I uh, don't like Trump, which I don't. And then other people will leave one-star reviews talking about how uh, I'm just, uh, I, I hate the left. Uh, and I do hate a lot of the left as well. That's that's what's tricky about this. I'm surprised that I don't get more one-star reviews because I don't like fucking either side. I don't like uh, people on the far left and I don't pe- like people on the far right. Uh, I don't like, I shouldn't say people. I don't like their uh, beliefs, their political beliefs. Maybe that's a little better. But seriously, I, I don't shit on any leftist uh, ideas all the time. I don't think like, like not, I shit on communism, right? I guess if that's what you consider to be leftist, uh, it's never fucking worked as well as capitalism. That's why I shit on it. Power corrupts and a communist government has way too much fucking legislative power. See Stalin's Russia. See North Korea. See Castro's Cuba. See the former East Germany. Doesn't seem like a bunch of happy places to live. Also, Jill Rogan, what the fuck are you talking about? I love when people just put their own like, like, like realities onto something that's, that, that does not match that. Like this person has some weird view of me like, oh, I just do this all to get on Joe Rogan. Do you remember that one time when I just begged you guys to, to have me on Joe Rogan? I, I don't, that doesn't have, didn't happen to my memory, right? Time suckers have asked me if I would like to be a guest on Rogan's podcast. And yeah, of course I would. He's the fucking king of interview podcasts. He has the biggest audience of any podcast. He's a pioneer. But I've never like once hung around the comedy store just, oh man, I hope I can fucking meet Rogan. I've never messaged his producer just, oh, come on, man, put me on. Right? I've, I've never asked a comic to put a word in to have me on. A former manager made it her goal to get me on, which didn't happen. Oh, well, I don't care. I, I still think the dude's amazing, but I'm not fucking begging to get on this podcast, and I never will because uh, we don't need it. I don't need it here. I focus on content and hope that word of mouth gets me some exposure, and so far it has, and it's, so far it's gotten enough. But okay, according to this dude, that's all I want to do. Uh, okay, this next one's a three-star review, but it's written like a one-star review, and I think it's worth sharing. April 3rd, Legal Violence posted a subject line of fascinating topics, poor comic. (laughs) And then they wrote, and there's a variety of all caps in here, which always is fun. I very rarely write reviews. However, this podcast is, all caps, extremely frustrating. Dan Cummings, the host, does a quote, uh, all caps again, amazing job with a topic each week. And I would give five stars if not for the presentation of the show. Dan talks all caps, very, very fast and makes jokes that relentlessly fail. I'm not quite sure why he doesn't present the product in a serious light from fake sponsors to, all caps, terrible accents and the habit of laughing nonstop at his own jokes. I just can't get on board and find myself often lost between fact and fiction in his stories. All caps, be ready to hit rewind constantly because he speaks rapidly and imitates accents while yelling random things that are genuinely confusing. I hope he reads this review because he can have a phenomenal show if not for these sm- <laughs> if not for these small things holding him and his show back. All caps slow down and present your show properly. I love the word properly. I have yet to laugh once during an episode. <laughs> and I'm not trying to bash you. I hope I enjoy the show when I understand what you're trying to say. It's just all caps way 
too much sarcasm. And I don't know when to take you serious. <laughs> I love how fucking angry he is about the jokes. If there were a similar show without the jokes that fall so short, I would switch to it because the topics are amazing and entertaining. <sighs> okay. All right. You got me. You got me. Legal violence. Okay. I hope you're still listening because uh, thank you. I did take your advice and I, I created a similar show that I've had for a few months now. Uh, I want you to subscribe. It's called The Serious Suck for Dumb Fucks Who Hate Fun. Go look for it. You should check it out. I think you'd really enjoy it. It's all the facts from Time Suck, slowly recited with no humor, no passion, just like a junior high book report. There's no dumb jokes. There's no terrible accents. There's no fake sponsors, just straight facts recited with proper pronunciation. Proper. Like a morning news anchor reading a teleprompter when someone has a gun to their head. Just someone who hates joy. Did you pick up on that sarcasm, legal violence? You fucking lunatic. You delusional weirdo. Time Suck is in the comedy section of the podcast. I've made a living as a comic for two decades. Some people do like it. A lot of people, you don't. That's fine. That's fine that you don't. So how about, I don't know, instead of trying to change a clearly established podcast produced by someone who's been doing this shit a long time, how about you just find something else? Uh, you know, that's such a weird thing when people do that. And I see that on like bands and stuff, uh, like on their reviews, on like their albums and things, where <laughs> some random username gives somebody like, not just like a, I like it or I don't like it, but like this, like like career advice written as if the person might take it seriously. Like, does this person who fucking wrote this actually think that I might read that? And be like, you know what? I know this podcast has a big audience and a lot of people write in every week as as shown in the time circle updates that they enjoy it. What if? I took away all the things that made it unique and just followed the advice of the guidance counselor who I never hired, legal violence, and <laughs> the consultant that I never wanted and just completely redid fucking everything at their behest. Like, do they actually think that their voice is that powerful? Uh, legal violence, don't ever write a review ever again for anything. Just focus on your own life. No one fucking cares what you think about anything. Oh, what the fuck? I hate people like that. Uh, I've literally never done that ever once in my life, and I hope I never do. Hey, you know what you should do? Person who does something that I don't do? Here's a lot of advice that makes no sense. Fuck, unsolicited advice. It's always been one of my biggest pet peeves. What are you talking about? And it's amazing, amazing as a comic how much you get from like random members. Hey, you know what you should do? Insert Shit I've never considered, like for fucking two decades now. Hey, you know what? What if you, hey, what if you shut the fuck up forever? Uh, February 26th, Andy1234 posted a subject line of, went way downhill and wrote, usually good episodes, but he started advertising for right-wing loons and propaganda. The cult of the curious became the cult of the easily misled. See, here you go. I can't win uh, with these kind of people, right? It's like uh, on the left and on the right, if I can get it. Uh, when did they start advertising for right-wing loons? Is Lisa Mattress a right-wing loon? Is Dollar Shave Club or Equip Toothbrushes or The Great Courses Plus, are those right-wing loons? Andrew, are you okay? You seem sick. I'm talking nonsense, buddy. You seem like a member of the cult of, uh, I'm upset about something I'm not going to actually mention. Did I, did I make fun of somebody you admire? Why don't you get in touch with their re real feelings and write an honest review? Okay, one more. This addresses something I've wanted to point out for a while. It's a two-star review, but it might as well be a one-star review. <laughs> January 29th, 2019, J-Mac leaves a subject line of steals from Wikipedia. 
And then they write, so I recently became interested in the Donner Party. I read all I could about them on Wikipedia, then decided to turn to podcasts. I stumbled across this one and eagerly downloaded. Lots of great reviews equals an excellent podcast, right? Well, until I just realized that the material being read was exactly what I read on Wikipedia. A few of his own stand-up jokes were thrown in. This was not a well-researched retelling of the Donner Party. This was directly stolen from Wikipedia. Hard to be impressed there. So I don't think I'll continue to listen to a podcast that steals material from the internet, then reads it verbatim. Let me know when you write your own <laughs> original material. Let me know. Like, I'm like, hey, hey, somebody get a hold of J-Mac. I got to let him know. Hey, J-Mac, I'm letting you know now, buddy. I'm letting you know that this has uh, always been uh, a podcast of original material. And I'm also letting you know that you don't seem to understand how fucking historical research works. Right? First, I didn't throw in any of my stand-up jokes into that episode. I don't have a bunch of jokes from my stand-up about, you know, American pioneers fucking settling the West in the 19th century. Uh, also, uh, I didn't read the episode verbatim from Wikipedia. If you look closely at Wikipedia, J-Mac, let me explain to you how it works. You'll see these little things called footnotes. The Donner Party Wikipedia page has 197 of them. It pulls from 28 different sources. I use some of those same sources. And I also do use Wikipedia. You know, I fact check it against other sources. And yes, sometimes information is presented verbatim from Wikipedia and other sources. Why? Because it's historical facts. Not shit I get to make up as I go along. It's fucking dates and names and incidents and quotes. God damn, when I'm quoting some historical figure, you know, I would hope I was using the same verbatim information as it would appear in any source. I construct these episodes, if you don't know, by assembling what I consider to be the key building blocks of a topic together into the form of a compelling narrative then layer in reactions and show mythology characters, inside jokes, et cetera. I don't just wing it. Yeah, I'm reading from notes every time. Like, I'm amazed when some people still think that, like, I just I just make this shit up. What are you fucking talking about? If I was able to recite, like, just all of these facts and figures accurately for two hours on a different subject every week, I would not be doing a podcast. I would be working in some fucking crazy think tank. The government would have kidnapped me, and they'd be I'd be the smartest person who had ever lived. <laughs> doing this. I wouldn't be fucking telling dick jokes. Uh, yes, when it comes to the presentation of facts, I copy and paste chunks into the notes because I don't want to get it wrong. I'm trying to be accurate. I rewrite it into my voice and add jokes, but yeah, the information's taken from other places because Time Suck is basically just a weekly fucked up research paper. And that's how research works. You, you retell a story. You don't tell it for the first time and you tell it as it happened. If you're doing a good job, and you learn how it happened by reading from the, in the sources. And if you want to convey the story as factually as possible, you don't alter the source information. J-Mac, you should start a podcast with legal violence. You should call it Two Dudes Who Don't Understand How Life Works Telling Shitty Tales. One of you could pre present information slowly with no humor, and the other could complain about how that's the same information found in the sources. <laughs> and finally... Uh, I do want to say, after looking back through a full year's worth of reviews, you know, on iTunes, man, there, there really weren't that many bad ones. And I uh, feel very blessed to have that because the internet, as I'm sure all of you know, it, is full of so much hate. Like there's this random female bodybuilder I follow on Instagram. This is so random, but I was thinking about this this morning and I follow her and I am amazed how many people just shit on her in the comments of every single post. All the pictures are, are just pictures of her like flexing and stuff. Like if you don't want to see a, a woman flexing her muscles, then don't fucking follow her, right? And I don't want to say her name because I don't want to like add to like, you know, more shit. Just, and, and I, frankly, I don't have it in front of me right now. I'm just talking on my ass a little bit. But 
I was thinking about like how the internet uses to so many people. I mean, it's every post. Dudes threatened by her strength or just guys who don't like the way she looks and then fucking whatever, that's your right. But then they have to say it on her profile over and over and over. Fuck everyone who does that. If you're somebody who goes on some public profile, fuck you, seriously. Like, what are you doing? Why are you just, it's just, it's so needless just to be hateful for no reason. Good job. Way to, way to throw something good out in the world. Way to just fucking shit on something, you piece of fucking shit. I hate people like that so much. You're fucking worthless when you do stuff like that. But you guys, it's amazing. It's amazing. Very little hate. Very little. And, and I almost always get the feeling that it's somebody who pops in, isn't really familiar with it, just, you know, uh, maybe they got exposed to it from a different, you know, appearance on another podcast. It, it, it's not somebody who found it through my standup or through a friend recommendation, I don't think. And, and look, and I get like some of you, like maybe you don't like the way the podcast has changed. Maybe you're about to, to go out. But I feel like most of the people who've been listening for a while, when they do leave, they just leave. They don't leave a bunch of hateful stuff behind. It's a classy way to leave. And I get it, you know, it's not what you enjoy anymore. And that stuff all makes sense to me. But the hateful stuff, thank you guys so much for not being one of these idiots of the internet. Idiots of the internet. Ah, that was, again, that was cathartic. Thanks for letting me purge out some anger there. Uh, now let's get, let's get to some positive stuff. Let me update you on how, th how things have gone behind the scenes in 2019. It was a big year. Uh, thanks to all of you. Uh, let's, let's go over some cool stats to kick this off. Uh, I'm sure some of you at least are curious about this stuff. Let's start with the Cult of the Curious group on Facebook. Harmony gave me these stats this morning. In January, we had 3,764 members of the Cult of the Curious Facebook group. Now we have almost 15,000 members, 14,705, right? The overwhelming majority come from the U.S., but not all. 13,990 from the U.S., 185 from Australia, 168 from the U.K., 33 from New Zealand, 14 from Nigeria, 13 from Ireland, keeps going down. Most of the U.S., but we are making a little progress overseas. Indianapolis is a city with the most cult of the curious Facebook members, 113. Spokane, Washington, next, 104. Denver, 100, 100. Portland, Oregon, 97. Kansas City, Missouri, 96. Phoenix with 91, and then lots of other places. 70% of the members are dudes. 30% are women. 4% or 0.4% uh, other. Yeah, almost 30% women. Uh, we had just 37,000, or we had uh, 37,000 posts, over 627,000 comments. Amazing. And that's just Facebook. And that's just the numbers. That's not counting all the friendships that were born. Uh, you know, all the people that just had so much fun, you know, just, uh, yeah, coming together, you know, somewhat like-minded, sharing ideas, talking about things serious and not serious, having some laughs. Let's talk about overall audience size on YouTube, where we get the least amount of kind of views. Our subscriptions went from less than 5,000 to start the year to over 20,000 now. Our RSS feed, which counts total podcast listens, uh, we broke a million total show downloads in one month for the first time in January. In October, we broke over 2, 000, or 2 million downloads in a single month. Uh, the D.B. Cooper mystery, the first episode of 2019, got around 125,000 downloads in the first 60 days of release. The Mormonism episode in September got around 240,000 downloads in the first 60 days, has almost 270,000 downloads now. Our most download, downloaded episode of the year. 
So basically, we almost exactly doubled in size in 2019, doubled on Patreon as well. We had roughly 3,500 space lizards to start the year. As of this release, the count was 6,900. And how have we grown? Mostly because of you. Uh, I don't appear on that many other podcasts. You know, I'm not buddies or, you know, with Joe Rogan, despite what that one dude thinks. Not buddies with Bill Burr or Whitney Cummings. Jimmy and James, a small town murder, crime and sports. Fantastic dudes with fantastic true crime podcasts. Uh, the best out there, in my opinion. They've talked about Time Suck, which has helped a lot. Tom and Dan of A Mediocre Time with Tom and Dan, that Florida podcast that, uh, you know, really helped get me started. They've talked about me, which has helped. The Florida Podfathers, dudes with a great show. They built the blueprint for not ha just having a podcast, but building a podcast community. Uh, Todd McComas, Pat McAvee, the other guys at Heartland Radio, great dudes, great podcasts. Ross Patterson, the folks at Drinking Bros, uh, that podcast, more great peeps. They helped Anthony Rizzuto and the crew at the Rizzuto Show in St. Louis. That podcast and radio show helped. Joey Diaz, Uncle Joey from the Church of What's Happening Now. He helped a ton. Burt Kreishner, his awesome Burtcast podcast. He helped. He's talked about me in other podcasts. Uh, you know, just because just he's a good dude and super funny. Joe Coy in the Koi Pond. Uh, that's helped. Johnny Dare in Kansas City. Mike Holmgren uh, in, in Phoenix. All solid guys who helped promote me and Time Suck. And a ton of other morning radio DJs, podcast hosts, I'm sure I'm uh, forgetting. But mostly since I'm in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho and not New York or Los Angeles where I can just pop in on big podcasts and promote on the regular, mostly this show has grown because of you, because of word of mouth. Nothing beats word of mouth, right? That's why the, the growth of this show has been so steady month after month. And, and because of that growth, we've been able to do some really cool things like donate to charity, 20% of all the Patreon space digital subscription money we receive after 10 grand, which was the original monthly operating cost back when we only had Reverend Dr. Joe Horsecock Johnson Paisley in the office, you know, and rent and some part-time employees, app development, you know, et cetera. 20% after 10 grand each month goes to charity. And we've donated over 30 grand in charity in 2019. If things keep tracking like they are, we're gonna donate over 50,000 more in 2020. In January, we donated 1,400 to the Pew Research Foundation a great organization that helps with truth and media, an organization built on gathering and sharing factual information. I've leaned on them many times for stats. In February, we donated 1,600 to the Cancer Research Institute. In March, we donated 1,800 to Bikers Against Child Abuse. In April, we donated 2,000 to Time Sucker Cameron Owens Stair Climb for firehero.org to raise money for firefighters and their families. Uh, and the families of those killed in, uh, or, you know, or injured in duty or on while on duty. In May, we donated $2,200 to Leo Support Foundation via Time Sucker Michael Best, providing life-saving and protective equipment for law enforcement. In June, we donated $2,400 to the National Alliance to End Homelessness to help do exactly that. In July, we donated $2,600 to 100-plus abandoned dogs of Everglades, Florida Rescue in honor of a mediocre times, Travis Butler, uh, his brother lost his life in a tragic accident. In August, we donated $2,800 to Impulse Youth Arts Organization on behalf of Time Sucker Jordan Alfaro to support the arts and music continuing to be taught and supported in public schools. In September, we donated three grand to Youth on Record, a Denver-based nonprofit helping at-risk youth graduate and build careers in the arts. In October, we donated $3,200 to the nonprofit Holding Out Help an organization that provides those who come from a polygamous culture the resources needed to transition from isolation to independence. In November, we donated $3,500 to the Patriot Guard Writers Nonprofit, a group dedicated to shield veterans' families at their funerals from dumb shit hate groups 
like the Westboro Baptist Church. And finally this month, we ended up donating over four grand to give five Cult of the Curious families a Christmas they otherwise could not have received. Fuck yeah. Hail Nimrod. Praise Lucifina. Praise Bojangles. Huge praise and thanks to the space lizards, the guardian angels of the suck. Let's talk a little bit about those space lizards. Uh, listeners who pay $5 a month on Patreon become space lizards. They get 20% off Time Suck merch. They get exclusive space lizard merch. They get to download my secret stand-up album, Feel the Heat. They get to vote on topics and pick two Monday topics a month. They've done a great job this year picking so many great topics. They gain access to a weekly podcast, The Secret Suck. New episodes drop Thursdays at noon Pacific time. Just released our 96th Secret Suck episode. Episodes average an hour and 45 minutes each. That's 168 hours of Secret Suck content. That show has evolved a lot from its first episode, just like Time Suck did. It's different than Time Suck, quite a bit different. Harmony told me uh, if Time Suck is school, then the Secret Suck is recess. Like Time Suck, it's kind of hard to describe. There's, there, there's uh, segments like the Will of the Suck, where space lizards use the app to send in 60-second voice messages talking about Time Suck-related things or responding to weekly challenges we've done, like Michael McDonald impressions. Uh, guess which song this air banjo melody is, right? Bang, dang. Oh, actually, uh, I just tried to pull that. Dank. Dank, dank. Bang, 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 dank. Back in black. Come on. Craziest sexual fetish. Fetish? Fetish? What's a fetish? Sounds like a weird vegetable. Uh, you know, what crime did you get away with? Bathroom disaster stories. All kinds of fun stuff we've had a lot of laughs with. There's the Spaces or the Latest where we update previous suck topics with new info. Stay up to date on Scientology, UFO sighting stories, OJ Simpson, Casey Anthony, Elon Musk, robots, Oak Island. So many Oak Island updates. All very important. Uh, and more. We have the Wackadoodle of the Week segment where we find people online trying to convince you uh, that they you know, spent 20 years on Mars as a space marine. Or they can talk to dead pets. Fly, fluffy fly. You know, or, or ch channel aliens. You're talking about continue worms. Healing you with the magic jacket. You know, or that God, you know, wants them to be mayor of Toledo, Toledo, Ohio. Then we often take a quote from one of these nuts and turn it into a sound button. You know, I can push a little button and you can hear stuff like giant stone balls. Secret suck is heavy on buttons and castles. Button castles. You get it, Space Lizards. Uh, and if you think Time Suck is heavy on inside jokes, holy shit, the secret suck. Next level inside jokes. Other segments like the Third Eye of David Icke where we break down conspiracies. Uh, positively insane. And someday I'll talk about more about this stuff on the Time Suck feed. I don't, I don't want to turn this uh, recap into a secret suck commercial, but I want you to know what we've been doing. It's been a lot of fun. And I love that listeners, uh, some listeners enjoy the secret suck more than Time Suck. Uh, one of the main benefits of the uh, Secret Suck and all the Patreon support, the income it provides, is it's allowed us to expand. To start the year, we, we doubled the size of the Suck Dungeon, had an entrance, punched through the wall into the empty space next door, and we used that space. That's where Harmony's desk is, Zach's desk is. Uh, we created a second studio for Scared to Death, the Paranormal Horror Podcast I do with the Queen of the Suck, my wife, Lindsay. Episodes coming out, you know, um, just before midnight on Tuesdays. Pacific time, we were, we were able to spend over 25 grand to build that studio, make the show much more visually appealing for those who watch on YouTube. And Scared to Death now has over uh, 75,000 weekly listeners. Fantastic for a show that just started a few months back. Couldn't have launched it without Space Lizard support. Also this past spring, we hired a second full-time employee, not counting Lindsay or myself, Zach Flannery. I met Zach over 15 years ago when I was doing a lot of stand-up comedy in Spokane, Washington. You know, working out material around town. He's producing some local shows. He was uh, in the comedy scene. He was in the music scene primarily. 
but he also, you know, put on some comedy shows. Also had a nightlife magazine that I ended up writing some silly pieces for, some staroscopes, some weird celebrity-based horoscopes. Uh, the years went by. We lost touch. Zach moved down to San Francisco. I moved to L.A. Then he and his wife, Monique, returned to Spokane. I returned to the Spokane area, living in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And, uh, and I realized that, that kicking out, you know, bigger, more in-depth time sucks every week. And that, you know, and then the secret sucks as well. And trying to work on new stand-up all the time and touring and helping raise kids. It was going to burn me out if I didn't get some help. So I started looking for a full-time researcher. Joe Paisley recommended Zach because Joe knew Zach from the Spokane metal scene. Because Joe worked for a decade at 94 and a half, The Rock, Spokane's hard rock station. And uh, Joe was also and is also the front man for a metal band called Moretta, a great band. And he produces uh, some albums from time to time as well. And he produced the last album for Zach's alternative hard rock band, Sovereign Citizen. So weird, small world. Zach took a stab at doing a, a preliminary pass on a time suck topic and he fucking killed it. It was a Napoleon episode. So then I was able to train him how to do research for the secret suck. And uh, now Zach does the initial research for both Time Suck and The Secret Suck, which allows me to fine-tune them, the research, uh, feel confident when I double-check the research, which I always do, and then I'm able to do additional research, which I always do, add jokes, all that stuff, and make a better, well-produced show. Uh, Late-night shows, sitcoms, they have teams of writers. Reality shows, documentaries, they have teams of producers, which are basically writers. And we have Zach, <laughs> the script keeper. Helping me kick out four plus hours a week of curated content between the secret suck and time suck in 2019. And bringing in Zach freed up my brain up to work on Scared to Death, the podcast I wanted to do for a long time before he came over. Uh, still, you know, I'm still curating all the allegedly true horror tales I, I tell on the show. I rewrite them to fit my, my new horror storytelling voice. You know, keeping, keeping the scary, supposedly true details intact. I love working on Scared to Death. It allows me to have more fun with paranormal tales and time suck allows because they don't have to be critical and analytical with these type of stories. And the Space Scissors made that show possible. You made that show possible by listening. You know, and, and then this all allowed us to hire our third full-time employee outside of Lindsay and myself, right? Now we got Joe, Zach, and Harmony Velikamp. Harmony, like Zach, had listened to my stand-up for, for a long, long time. I met Harmony over two years ago, October of 2017, at a show in Oregon. And she started volunteering because she loved the show. It was her idea to launch the Cult of the Curious Facebook group. So you have Harmony to thank for that. Her idea to launch the Discord channel. After volunteering for free for several months, she got to start getting a small monthly check for well over a year. And then we were able to, thanks to Patreon, hire her full-time just a few months back. She moved from Vancouver, Washington, just outside of Portland, Oregon, to the Suck Dungeon, made that leap of faith with three kids. Insane. She's doing great. She runs the social media accounts. She oversees the Facebook moderators. Those awesome meat sacks, you know, Joe Paisley's one of them. Harmony's another one. But also Robbie Erickson, Liz Hernandez, Meg Howell, uh, Ely Darling. Thanks for uh, working with uh, Harmony to build the uh, Time Suck community, by the way, all of you. Harmony also in charge of curating the Will to Suck messages now in the Secret Suck. We get hundreds of messages, play 20 a week. Joe used to do that. Now he is able to have more time to edit Scared to Death, create cool teaser videos for Scared to Death, uh, you know, for, for Time Suck on Instagram. He's been... Uh, building up a backlog of my old stand-up videos. We're going to post those a lot on Instagram in 2020 and on YouTube. Do you even follow us on Instagram, by the way? Get out, get in there. Dan Cummins Comedy, Time Suck Podcast, come on. And Joe Paisley, man, have we leaned on him in 2019. He designed the Scared to Death studio, conceptualized it, designed it, improved the audio quality of this show tremendously. He, he is the rock that Lindsay and I lean on. He's been invaluable, always gets shit done whenever we need it. Working over the holidays, you know, to keep episodes coming out just the last couple of days. 
Joe and I hope to be able to launch another podcast in 2020. We've uh, thought about that a lot behind the scenes in 2019. Is we dumb, a beefed up idiots of the internet show where we, you know, really go after a, a wider variety of things and just, and just have more silly fun. Um, you know, so we're going to figure out when to do that. Always hard to launch stuff when we have so much going on, but we're going to figure it out. We've got a lot of sponsors in 2019, good ones, the great courses, plus lease equip many more, all thanks to you continuing to listen. Also ads are going to be changing in 2020. Learn that at the end of 2019. Now I'm supposed to just leave a spot for a future ad to be dropped in. And then that ad can be changed, might be leased it for two months. Two months later, might change to quip. It's called dynamic ad insertion, the future of podcast advertising. So I can no longer reference the episode inside the ad, which kind of bums me out. Uh, also, uh, you know, the ads might come across as a little more abrupt, which also bums me out, but it's 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 the future. It's, uh, it's the way that the ad business is going to be working with podcasts. So going to have to just roll with it. So still trying to figure that out. It's new. Okay, now let's talk about fun. Let's talk about some fun we had in 2019. 2019 saw the rise of numerous suck version, uh, you know, suck verse, excuse me, characters like the suck verse uh, uh, version of Ed Kemper, who showed up in January. Mother, mother, why are you getting my samples so riled? I'll put your head on a stick, just like the cat's mother. Kemper started selling pet sickles on the suck. Things got darker and weirder than ever. Then in May, our most disgusting and possibly most popular character showed up, my favorite, <laughs> which says a lot about me. Albert Fish, showbish. Peanut butter. That's how they do it in Hollywood. Dude started singing some pretty nasty songs. Well, you know it's the best when the poop hits your chest. That's how I come. I'll shoot my seed when your ass starts to bleed. That's how I come. That's how I come. Sure, my neighbors love that. <laughs> July. Got into a little bit of trouble making fun of a serial killer, Robert the Butcher Baker Hanson Stutter. I'll fucking show you, you bit, you bit, you damn it. Still think it's funny. Uh, then came Bell Gunnis in July, and people were pleased again. Hangy bangy, pitching the thingy dingy, in the hosey wosey, rubbing in the tugging. Oofta, oofta. Right? That's when we started moving on up. Moving on up. Oh, still makes me feel so good to hit that button. Yeah, get that deluxe apartment in the sky. Move on up. Uh huh. Mm hmm. Oh, just finally finding a piece of the pie. Oh, feels good. So that was a fun one. In August, we got to wrestling with the outlaw Jesse James. Uh, that was one of my favorite sucks. Monday, 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 the Time Suck 2019 year in review versus the future of 2020. Oh my heck, gosh dang, Albert Fish, Ed Kemper, and Bell Gunnis take on what upcoming gang? Who knows what the future holds for the suck? More what the flip or more what the fuck? Who will pull a Chikatilo in return in future episodes? And who will pull a Hanson and be good, 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 gone? In September, we went Italian. With a little Da Vinci suck, here we go. That was a fun one. We also introduced to, oh my heck and gosh dang, with the Mormonism suck. What the flip, Jeepers Creepers, guys. We got Odd with Father Yod and the Source family uh, cult, his Yahuwah 13 band in October. You remember listening to this fun little ditty? There's gonna be some ups and baby. Sounds, but ain't 
We'll just bottom for Aquarius. Finding the path, digging it, staying it. Feeling the feelings, finding the light. It's right and it's tight. Watch out for those hang gliders, everybody. More dangerous when you take flights. Also in October, we met Anton LaVey and the Church of Satan, and we all really fell in love with the Calliope. <laughs> welcome to Anton LaVey's Big Top Burlesque Show. Please welcome to the stage, Cotton Candy, everybody. So that was fun. <laughs> we met Steph Coxcurvy not much longer after that, right? If your daddy raises you to listen to the secret suck and time suck from an early age, you might be a serial killer. Uh, we learned so much this past year, right? We talked about important stuff like the homeless epidemic, anti-vaccination movements, what to do about pedophiles with the pedophile island suck. We learned about the moon landing, Vietnam, the Revolutionary War, Napoleon, the Black Panthers, time travel, and so much more. Covered a lot of true crime, a lot of mysteries, some cults. Also, the app, the Time Suck app has come so far in 2019, man. Huge thanks to Chris Pockell and Zach Steele at BitElixir. We have an awesome app. We really, I don't say that enough. We have an awesome topic voting function. We have show notes, character avatars, a player that lets you search for episodes, lets you organize them by, you know, uh, what episodes you've downloaded or played or are listening to and more. Soon we're going to have our very own in-app trivia game. Been working on that behind the scenes for months. Harmony Velocamp taking the lead on that. Right? What other fucking podcast has an app with voting features, trivia, you know, and, and, and all these other things? None, to my knowledge. And you guys have allowed us to uh, to build that, to create something so unique, something built by fans. Chris Pockell is a fan. He's the guy, you know, with Bitelixer who suggested that I get on Patreon in the first place, suggested that we build an app, and then opened up so much else. He's a fan first, app designer second when it comes to Time Suck. Zach Steele, also a fan. Logan Keith, our merch designer in 2019, super fan, as is his lovely wife, Kate. Logan and Kate, man, they, they doubled our merch output, made so many cool products this past year. You know, we've had growing pains for sure, but just because of that, because of growth, you know, with lots of amazing merch. We had robes this past year, fucking cult robes, are you kidding me? Hail Nimrod, so many cool shirts, so many cool hoodies. Sweatpants, ch another challenge coin, a weird Ed Kemper magnet set, uh, the Time Suck University line. Holiday ornaments, holy shit. And now we're moving to a new merch system guided by the fantastic Kate and Logan. It's going to have a dedicated customer service, you know, representative, much broader product availability. It, it's just, it's, yeah, we just, you know, keep uh, trying to push things forward. Really looking forward to stepping up our game more in 2020. You guys also changed my stand-up career substantially in 2019. 2019, uh, it's kind of, I'm so week to week that it's been cool for me to reflect on this stuff because I don't a lot throughout the year. I just kind of realized as I was putting this together that I did become one of the most popular comics in the club circuit. It's, yeah, there's theater comics, but you know, I've worked in clubs for years and, and became one of the most popular club comics in 2019 for comedy clubs. 2017, I could barely sell a ticket. Thanks to Nimrod, thanks to all of you. This year, I added shows in Houston and Portland, sold out shows across the country. Club after club compliments me on how cool the crowd is, how polite and respectful you guys are, how well you tip. Cult of the Curious Meat Sacks, the best meat sacks around. I was able to record a new special in Pontiac, Michigan, just outside of Detroit at the Crowfoot Ballroom. Two sold-out shows. That was because of you guys. It's going to be called Get Out of Here, Devil. I just saw the final cut. Very happy. Uh, 70 minutes of new material, the best taping I've ever had because the audience was nothing but fans, made it so much better. You know, back when I recorded the uh, Hear This uh, album not that long ago, nobody, nobody would give me a, a whiff 
of a taping budget. No, we wanted to do one. I also recorded some old material with the profanity removed in Denver to be played on the Laugh USA channel on Sirius XM, calling it live, uh, live in Denver. You know, just keep it simple. I'll release it elsewhere eventually. It's just going to have one album at least that you can give to your, to your conservative grandma or, or an eight-year-old and not worry about offending them. Other than that, it's probably not going to uh, have any, uh, you know, I'll have the one album. The other albums seem to be getting more offensive. So, you know, you don't want to limit the catalog to them. But I like that that's going to be out there. Uh, all those shows were sold out. It's crazy. Sold out four shows in Spokane where I started this month. First time ever. And I've been doing shows in Spokane for a long time. First time ever. Over over 1,200 tickets eight years ago after a, an hour special on Comedy Central. I came back to Spokane. Couldn't sell 50 tickets in a 100-seat venue. It was humbling. So, oh my heck, thank you. Uh, this project truly changed my life, man. Always wanted to donate to charities. Check. Doing that now. Always wanted to tour to fans. Check. Done it. It's been amazing. And I want to take it even further and make it better. I think about all the messages you've sent in over this past year, how the show has given so many hope uh, that not everyone out there is a, is a trollish piece of shit, that you can still have a dark, fucked up sense of humor and still be a good person and still find a tribe. We've gotten so many messages from those who have stopped considering suicide specifically uh, because of this community. Uh, so many friendships have been born from this community. It's been amazing to watch. It's been very, very special. The Suck Dungeon has almost 100 challenge coins from first responders and military listeners. So many paintings, cross stitches, uh, fabricated metal sculptures, all kinds of different things, given very unique things given to me, to us, by you. The Suck Dungeon has become this museum of curiosities. It's become more than just a podcast, all thanks to, to your love and support. And we're going to be able to do more now. You know, thanks to a staff now, I, I, I can do more, uh, you know, content, create more content, and also spend more time with my family. I can get to the gym again, rest more, take a little better care of myself. Uh, I look forward to seeing where all this goes in 2020. How many more lives can be touched? How many more laughs can be had? How much more knowledge can be sucked? More conversations, you know, started, more dialogues provoked. I want to write the best, most thoughtful stand-up hour of my career. Also have it be the funniest, of course. The show makes me want to be more than funny. You know, uh, you guys pushed me to get a TEDx talk. We did that this year back in January. First public talk I've ever given that wasn't humor-based. That's uh, already changed me. You know, this has all made me want to be more than just a comic. We, we got a lot of messages about how the suck has inspired many of you not to give up on your dreams because I didn't give up on mine. Keep chasing them. You know, as many as many of you know, you know, my career was almost over a few years ago. A 40-year-old comic not selling tickets, that's not a good look. A comic who was given several opportunities by the industry, specials, late night spots, almost had some shows go on the air, but not quite, record deal, but still isn't selling tickets? Someone who's been doing it for over 15 years, that person usually doesn't work much longer. But then this happened. And now who knows? Now the comedy industry wants to work with me more than I want to work with them. Now I have bookers and producers who, uh, you know, I kind of avoid getting back to because I'm, I'm too busy doing this shit and this shit is enough for me. It's more than enough. So let's keep doing this. Let's keep growing this. Let's keep learning. Let's keep laughing. Let's keep growing. Let's embrace the darkness and also fight it. Let's chase dreams and be fucking weird. And not be pieces of shit. Let's keep on sucking. Long live the suck. And that's it. I could go on and on. Just uh, jerking myself off here talking about time suck. But that's, uh, that's the gist of it. It's the last suck of the decade. Hail Nimrod, I hope you enjoyed it. Colonel Robert Howard, man, what an inspiring hero. Damn, that guy never saw a challenge he didn't face head on. And 2019, what an amazing year. 
Uh, this also happened in 2019. I should hit this button, which I know I hit earlier, but right? Michael McDonald, what? This is Michael McDonald, and you're listening to Time Suck. Yeah, met the Bard, Triple M. God, that was a funny meeting too. I, I think I've talked about him in The Secret Suck, but maybe not Time Suck, but he was so nice. He was he was too nice. He's, I love that he's going back on tour with the Doobie Brothers. I hope he's reinvigorated because he's so good. But when Joe and Lindsay and I saw him, he was so self-deprecating. It was kind of a bummer. Uh, we asked him if he'd heard of Time Suck and forgive me if I've already told this, but he was like, time time what? Time's up? And we're no, we're no like, no, Time Suck. And then he goes, oh, like the last 30 years of my career. And he, <laughs> and he kind of laughed. We love you. We love you, Michael McDonald. We love your soft yacht rock that always puts me in a great mood. Uh, big thanks to the Time Suck team, man. Thanks for a great year. Thanks to Queen of the Suck, Lindsay Cummins. She does so much. Uh, Lindsay, you know, in 2019, she, she became my road manager, my touring manager. She does such a great job. She, she's been able to tour with me so much. She keeps things organized. Uh, she allows me to focus on the business. She focuses on the business so much. She works with Caden Logan to do all of the merch. She does so much more. She coordinates with Harmony and Joe. She oversees. She really, she, I, I run the creative on the actual podcast. She runs basically everything else behind the scenes. And she does a fucking hell of a job. Uh, High Priest of the Suck, Harmony, Velocamp. I mean, Reverend Dr. Paisley, the Bitelixer crew, the, the uh, you know, Logan and Kate doing the merch. Zach Martin for kicking off the Colonel Howard research. Just everybody. Thank, thank you if you've helped in any way with Time Suck. Uh, and check out, you know, what we were talking about. Check out that Facebook group. If you want to make new friends, meet some cult members, get a little more social in 2020, bounce over to discord. If you want even more interaction, you know, next week we're bringing in the new year with some fear, <laughs> true crime. Of course we do a lot of true crime. We do love it. Return to the suck with the spaces are voted in topic of the 1977 Oklahoma Girl Scout murders. We're going from inspirational to dark as fuck real quick. On the morning of June 13th, 1977, the worst happened. Three young girls between the ages of eight and 10 raped and murdered while attending summer camp at Camp Scott in Mays County, Oklahoma. Their bodies have been left on a trail leading to the showers about 150 yards from their tent. The gory case initially classified as solved when Gene Leroy Hart, a local jail escapee with a history of rape and violence, was arrested, but then he was acquitted. So who did it? Many still think Gene did it. What do others think? How could this have happened? Who was supposed to be watching these girls? According to what I found quickly on the web, putting together this preview less than two months before the murders, during an on-site training session, a camp counselor discovered that her belongings had been ransacked and her donuts randomly had been stolen. Inside the empty donut box was a disturbing handwritten note, and the writer of the note vowed to murder three campers. And the director of the camp session treated the note as a prank, and it was discarded. Fuck, was that is that true? Why was that note really ignored? They really just think it was a prank and they just didn't pay any more mind to it? How was security not beefed up, at least for that summer? It's going to be a brutal episode, but we're going to look at it anyway. Stuff happens, no point in hiding from it, but we don't have to face it right now. Right now, let's jump into the warm embrace of the cult of the curious with today's Time Sucker Updates. Updates? Get your Time Sucker Updates. Our first update comes from Time Sucker Atticus Lanes, who sends a nice update regarding last week's Warsaw Ghetto Suck. Atticus writes, Lord Master Sucker of Sweet Facts, hello there. I just wanted to tell you what a great job you did with the Time Sucker updates this week, Warsaw Ghetto. I especially enjoyed your points on how most people, with exceptions of course, are deserving of forgiveness for their actions. I happen to personally know someone who served in the German army during World War II, and he's one of the most caring people I know. 
He most certainly falls into the category of people pressed into service. He never adopted the Nazi beliefs. He served in a POW camp, but was later released and immigrated to North America, where he met his lovely Jewish wife. I hold him in high regard and just wanted to let you know about him. I found your comedy first in middle, middle school and have stuck with your career ever since, hoping to one day see you live. The podcast always makes me very happy or filled with righteous indignation, depending on the week. Love you, love the suck. Hail Nimrod and praise Bojangos. Wow, thank you, Atticus. Man, what a lovely message. Uh, love you and hope you get to a live show. A great reminder. Yeah, not all Nazis were bad people, as crazy as that is to say. And actually, our next update reminds uh, me and us that not all German soldiers were Nazis. But before we get there, uh, I, I love that this guy, you know, met and fell in love with a Jewish woman. What a great redemption story. Easy to forget when talking about the Germans in World War II that despite all the anti-Semitic propaganda floating around Germany and Europe in the early 20th century, despite all those who cheered Hitler on, there were also plenty of Germans, plenty of quote-unquote Aryans, who were disgusted by Hitler, by who he was and what he represented. Thank you for that reminder, Atticus. There were plenty of non-Jewish Germans victimized in other ways by the Nazis. Now let's get it uh, to another uh, Nazi update sent in by Meat Sack Braden Harvey. Braden writes, good morning, Master Sucker, guardian of Nimrod's butthole, <laughs> Lucifina's plaything. While listening to the Warsaw Ghetto Suck, I wanted to point out that not all the German army was Nazis. The Nazis were in power and moving the army, but not all of the army soldiers were Nazis. The Nazis were known as party men, meaning they were part of the Nazi political party. Much of the German army did not like their Nazi commanders. I highly recommend the book, Ordinary Men. It's the story of how the Nazis slowly acclimated and brainwashed the police battalions of Germany into mass killing the Jewish population. That sounds like a heavy but important book, Braden. Thanks for passing it along to us all. Interesting to remember that, yes, many of, sol of the soldiers who fought on behalf of Germany were not fans of Hitler or the Nazi party, weren't members of the Nazi party, just dudes born in the wrong country at the wrong time. Hail Nimrod. Update to an old suck coming in now from Kimber McLeod who gives us some thoughts on immigration from an American Indian perspective. Kimber writes, the immigration suck. Now you know why there are some of us who have a hard time just saying, hey, you won, we lost, cool. My great grandma grew up on a reservation in Oklahoma. I visited a few times and the white townies would say, look at that little squaw, not cool, not awesome. Most of my ancestors got invaded and colonized by the English between Ireland and here. Hard to let that go. My kids are doing better with it than me. Yes. The settling and the resettling of the world continues in various ways. One culture falls to the next. A story as old as human history. That is why I think it's important to remember that beneath the cultures, beneath the various amounts of pigment and differing eye colors and hair textures, who are we? We're all human, all meat sacks, right? Different sexes, sexual preferences, spiritual beliefs, different customs and rituals and skin color, but deep down the same. We're all born, we all die, we can and all do get sick with the same diseases. We all have essentially the same worries. Where do I belong? Who am I? Where do I go? If anywhere after I die, what does the future hold for me? Will I be all right? Will my kids be all right? What tragedies must I endure? What joyous moments will I experience? Sorry for the scars of colonization and cultural assimilation. Hopefully uh, they will heal and not haunt you too much longer, Kimber. I appreciate you sending in that message. Nice little different perspective there. Uh, now let's bounce back to Nazis for a moment and hear from the Middle East. Super sucker Shelby, keeping her last name out for her protection, sends me this. Dear Master of the Suck, I'm currently listening to the last few minutes of this week's episode on the Warsaw Ghetto. The episode was fantastic and at several points I found myself in tears. 
As a secular American living in a religious neighborhood in the heart of Jerusalem, I have very conflicting feelings about Israel, Jerusalem, and religion, etc. I find it so difficult to live among people whose families suffered so much throughout history, yet still feel that they can treat others like shit. In my short time of year and a half living here, I have personally been harassed for being transgender and have had one of my Palestinian students, a researcher at a university, sent to the hospital by getting attacked by a group of religious Jewish men. I also understand why Israel is so important to the Jewish people and the relative safety that living here brings. As an American in Israel, it is very hard not to reflect on the similarities between the current policies in the U.S. and Israel. I will actually be passing one of these reminders tomorrow on my way into the West Bank to celebrate Christmas in Bethlehem. But I think you hit the nail on the head. Every country, ethnicity, religion, etc. has good and bad people. And we need to judge people by their individual actions rather than the stereotypes they may fall into. Not sure where I'm going with all this, but I really wanted to reach out and tell you how impactful this episode was. Thanks for all you do. The podcast has been a major part of my life since being here and has helped me feel less alone in this crazy place. Shelby. Glad you feel less alone, Shelby. So glad you sent in this message. I I like the mention of a Palestinian student sent to the hospital by religious followers of Judaism. Don't like that that happened, but important to mention. No group, no matter how persecuted they may have been, are immune to persecuting others. Being the victim of racism doesn't mean you can't be racist. Being the victim of misogyny doesn't mean you can't be sexist. We can all become what we hate. Important to remember, we all, regardless of the history of our ancestral struggles, can add to the struggles of some future meat sacks ancestors. I hope I can one day travel to that crazy place you're teaching in, Shelby. So much history there. I'd love to see it. Uh, stay safe. Now, a uh, crazy Casey Anthony uh, update coming in. Holy shit. Uh, from meat sack Joseph King. This is nuts. So glad you sent this in, Joseph. Joseph writes, Casey Anthony, you missed something important. I cannot remember which documentary or show I was watching that brought this up. I was trying to find it to you to send the link as well. I, I did find it. Uh, I've searched and found it. Yeah, they, they screwed up on her computer search. Whomever was doing the search didn't know about Firefox, which was new at the time, and they only searched the history under Internet Explorer. They didn't find out until after the trial all of the search information from her Firefox browser. They're saying that one mistake cost them, right, her conviction. Had uh, had they done that, had they looked at the search history of Firefox at at her trial, she wouldn't have walked. Holy shit, yo. Yeah, I looked into this. You're absolutely correct. In 2012, it was revealed that the Florida Sheriff's Office that investigated the disappearance of Casey Anthony's two-year-old daughter overlooked evidence that someone in the Anthony home did a Google search using the web browser Firefox looking for, quote, foolproof suffocation methods. And they did that on the day that Kaylee disappeared. Fuck. Yep, sheriff's investigators overlooked 1,200 entries, including the suffocation search and other damning searches that were on her computer's Mozilla Firefox browser. Uh, and, And apparently, Casey Anthony was the one that would use that browser. Man. I guess they just didn't have a good computer-savvy investigator on the team. Didn't think to look up the Firefox searches. Uh, I do remember Firefox. Anthony was using that old private internet browser that many a meat sack has used to hide porn <laughs> in, the, in the days of yore. Man, if you didn't think for some reason Casey Anthony was guilty before, how bad does she look now, man? She or someone in the household, but come on, it's her. Looked up foolproof suffocation methods. Yeah, they didn't find out until it's too late. Damn it. Okay, now grab your tissues. Heartfelt update coming in from Bryce Camacho. Bryce writes, hey, Dan, master sucker, king of all suck, Bojangles' favorite spot in the world to hump. (laughs) 
Got a bit of a tearjerker, ma'am, but it's about how time suck has been there for me. My girlfriend and fellow sucker first played the suck through my ear holes on Suck 161, the Source family. So I guess you could say I'm a noob, but hearing about that crazy bastard, Father Yod, oh man, yeah, sorry, I know, before you get into the heavy stuff, I gotta listen to a little more. I'm only pushing this button because this has become Joe Paisley's favorite band ever. I hear the next Moretta album that is going to be heavily influenced by Yahuwah 13. God, I hope so. I don't know. I don't know if Joe can pull this off. Honestly, it's very musically complex. Uh huh. Joe, do you think you could do something like that? Um, like if you no. tried, if, if you tried really hard. If you no. Took, if you took last, I'm just not there. I'm not ready. All right. All right. Uh, okay, so I guess you could say I'm a noob, but hearing about that crazy bastard, Father Yod, and the way you delivered, I was hooked. Grab your tissues. Here comes the tears. I heard this episode a week after my dad lost his year-long battle with T-cell lymphoma cancer at 48 years old. It's a rare cancer that, to my knowledge, attacks the host white blood cells. He fought it very hard to the bitter end. He worked my entire life, never batted an eye, waking up at 2 a.m., not getting home until 5.36 p.m., even after getting diagnosed he would leave work to get radiation treatments for three hours, then go back to work. He was the most determined man I've ever met. But when I heard that episode, how you knocked Father Yod and his teaching so much, it was the first laugh I'd had in a long, terrible week. The Cult of the Curious was the perfect place for me to get lost. In the, in the amazing community and the holy sacred suck master, I'm a space lizard, as is my girlfriend, Aubrey. We love time suck. I listen to it constantly in secret at work. Thank you, Apple, for AirPods and a beanie. I've actually listened to every episode up to this date and all of Scared to Death. Uh, I'm working listening to all of The Secret Suck. I just got done with your psychic reading. And damn, that bitch is crazy. Yeah. Carol Clark. Uh, sorry for the long message, but I just really wanted to thank you for Time Suck. Hail Nimrod. Hail Lucifina. Fuck pedophiles. <laughs> and thank you, veterans. Man, so glad The Suck could help you get through a terrible time, Bryce. So glad you could lean on it. Uh, your dad sounded like a Robert Howard. A take no prisoners, get shit done kind of dude. Got to respect that. Hail Nimrod. I hope he lives on in your memories and the memories of, um, I'm guessing, so many other people whose lives he touched. So happy the Time Suck community has been here for you. I hope they were a source of great comfort over the holidays. And speaking of the holidays, one last update. Let's end on a beautiful message of hope as we enter 2020. This message coming in courtesy of longtime sucker and space lizard and motherfucking meat sack extraordinaire, Cody Beretta. Sending back in December 10th, Cody writes, subject, warning, a long message about suicide during this season of joy. And then he writes, Hail team of the suck. I felt compelled to say something about this topic for some time. Finally decided to weigh in after listening to the conversation regarding suicide on the Stan Lee Time Sucker updates. Regardless of their stance on what suicide says about a person, all genuine members of this cult can agree they don't want anyone to take their own lives. The best thing we can do to serve this goal is to kick the stigma of the topic right in its giant stone balls. Talk about it with the purpose of understanding, kindness, and empathy. Many people have the misfortune of having this season serve as a reminder of people they've lost and the despair that that can bring. While in the height of your joy from celebrating the holidays with your friends and family, I ask the suckers to take a moment to consider, truly consider, how they would feel if they had lost one or all of their loved ones. Worse yet, imagine how it would feel if the tragic loss occurred during the season of joy and was permanently associated with it. Finally, imagine how you would feel experiencing the grief and utter despair while watching everyone around you joyously celebrate with children, siblings, parents, spouses, friends you lost, uh, you know, during this time. Others still may seem to have everything and everyone they could want or need, but due to chemical imbalances in their brains, they're physically incapable of experiencing joy. 
This is my malady and is clinically defined as anhedonia, anhedonia, or the inability to feel pleasure. I realize that I have a great life. I'm grateful for what I have and the knowledge that it could be so much worse. However, if you were to graph an average person's mood with ecstasy as the highest point, utter despair as the lowest, and the midpoint being indifference, my mood graph can often chart with indifference being my highest point possible, best case emotion. The fear that this could someday become a permanent state for me is what drives me to be diligent with my talk therapy and medication. I again ask the suckers to truly consider how they might feel if they were to have everything they could ask for, see everyone around them experience joy and not be able to rouse themselves from a state of not being able to experience joy. I can, I can personally testify that these thoughts have brought a knife to my wrist and a noose around my neck, weary from the fight, hoping that things might improve, but having them not improve. But it can get better. The first step is to help, to get help if you don't have it. Reach out to and be honest with someone you trust. Call a suicide prevention hotline. Join a local support group. Acknowledge and seek treatment for any substance abuse. Schedule an appointment with a psychologist and or a psychiatrist. Know that this is a continuing struggle. Some doctors and or medications don't help, but stay strong. Don't be defeated. Try a different doctor. Try a different medication. I've tried more doctors and medications than I can count. Share as much of your struggle with people as you trust you are able to. What can the rest of us uh, do uh, for support? We can talk about this issue. Don't shame depression, PTSD, or suicide. Seek instead to understand and empathize with those who struggle with it. Express an interest to help those struggling. Be kind to strangers. Never bully or take advantage of people more vulnerable than you. Ask how others are feeling with sincerity. Listen genuinely. You never know what a random act of kindness or a stray compliment can do. It might save a life. My name is Cody Beretta, and I suffer from chronic anxiety and depression. I'm not crazy, at least not because of my illness. I have a health condition that I seek treatment for and am compliant with my doctor's prescribed treatment plans. I am no more ashamed to admit I have these diseases than I would be about high blood pressure or diabetes. And my brain is so messed up. When the second you said diabetes, I immediately thought of Wilford Brimley. Diabetes. Because of my diligence with my treatment and support of my family, I have been an amazing, I have an amazingly supportive wife who is due to deliver our first space newt carry on January 30th, 2020. There have been countless times I've contemplated giving up when my struggle has been at its worst. I'm proof it can get better. Even when I'm sure beyond a doubt that the psychic torment I experience can never get better, I don't give up. I do everything I can to get the support that is out there from the countless people whose mission it is to help people like you and me. Please don't give up. It's never easy, but I promise you it's worth it. Cody. Great message. Cody, hail fucking Nimrod. Yes, who knows how many people you just touched. Congratulations on little Carrie, the space note you have coming up in a, in a few weeks. I have no doubt you're going to be a fine father. Love how you compared chronic anxiety to high blood pressure, right? Yes, right? The mind has its own ailments and diseases, just like the body. And you're right. There shouldn't be stigma for those uh, anymore. There, there should be stigma for obvious physical diseases we can see, you know, or or that, you know, are more heavily documented in some way where people don't, um, you know, think about it in the sense of like, oh, they're just making it up. No, a lot of people truly suffer from a disease just as real as any physical disease that's mental. I hope you did enjoy the holidays. I hope you, uh, you know, are, are able to experience more joy going forward. I hope you're able to continue to talk publicly about your struggles, continue to normalize and destigmatize what you're currently working through. Keep it up, Meat Sack. Lucifina thinks it's super fucking sexy. She approves. Nimrod approves. Bojangles just licked his giant stone ball, so he approves. Now go fuck 2020 up. Yeah, yeah, yeah! Next time, suckers. I needed that. 
We all did. Have a great week, everybody. Enjoy the final hours of 2019 if you're still listening this year. And then go full Colonel Robert Howard on 2020 and the entire decade. Hail Nimrod, you glorious, beautiful bastards. And keep on fucking sucking. Hey, what if you shut the fuck up forever? Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.